and welcome to the podcast at Nancy Drew's house, because what the world needs most right now is a podcast about Nancy Drew. I'm Esther. <laughs> I'm Karen. And I'm Eva. And today we are talking about Nancy Drew book number one, because we have both always been a podcast about Nancy Drew and are just getting started for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, our our facade kind of um has has really crumbled at a the very bit. first hurdle because at least with the Sweet Valley book we did last year, we jumped in kind of head first. But this is just this is just the first one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's somehow still this book was like substantially better than that one. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I didn't hate anyone in this. I know. Yeah, even the ethnic stereotypes. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah, I hated the writing at several points, but not like. The characters were not all terrible people, which was so nice. Yeah, it was a breath of fresh air. I laughed at some of the writing, but it, it didn't like make me angry. I thought some yeah. bits of it were like delightfully clunky. Um but yeah, no, it was just it was it was nice. It was a nice change from the Babysitters Club. It was definitely a good change from Sweet Valley. Uh it was refreshing to take a break from current world events and go back to the nineteen thirties. <laughs> Uh, but Uh, there are no world events in this there's just um uh, a very not low stakes but like i mean it is low stakes it's not it's not a murder it's high stakes for the people involved but it's low stakes for everyone else there's a bunch of money and a will i guess there's mild peril at one stage there you go yes Yes, as netflix would say there's mild peril (laughs) there's that's what our our content warning is going to include on this one mild peril so had you guys read any nancy drew books before never yes so do you know when nancy starts in the 1930s and keeps going until possibly still yeah possibly still they're still writing i don't know but until very very recently um but i encountered the mid 90s ones um when nancy drew was just wanting about in the actual 90s oh wow doing 90s stuff uh which it just means that there are like tvs and rock concerts and things um uh, and i remember a couple of details about um the ones i read i couldn't tell you what ones they are now um but uh they yeah they were they were quite good fun um there's at one point so she hasn't yet met ned i don't think who is just the ongoing boyfriend in this one um but she had been going out with ned for so long um and i knew about ned that uh they had actually agreed to see other people <laughs> the time I've got. it was like well it's been 60 years and, we, you know, neither of us is, you know, informed to get married yet. So maybe we'll just call it off. Um, but yeah, there was one uh, one book that I read where uh, there was shenanigans in a castle where somebody nearly sleepwalked off a, um, a battlement, which was fun. And there was a different one where she, there was definitely um, a pop star or a rock star of some kind involved who invited Nancy and her friends to go to a concert. And she was, then they were invited to a backstage party which Nancy was like you know what? I'm really tired I'm not going to go to that so she goes home instead and when she gets home she finds that somebody has planted a bag of sparkling white powder in her bag <gasps> um sparkling white powder yes and I was like what could it be because I had never heard of cocaine before and every nobody mentioned says what it is they're like oh my gosh wow you would have got arrested if you'd gone to that party because it got raided by the cops uh and I was like wow this is such an education um but, but yeah <laughs> This stuff doesn't happen at the Babysitter's Club. That reminds me, um, my brother used to tell tall tales when he was in primary school. <laughs> and uh, one day he told me he had seen uh, the, 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 the the boldest boy in the school and his older brother and someone else. Um, 
and they had a bag of white powder. And I was like, uh-huh, they did, did they? <laughs> what were they doing with it? And he says, utterly confident, eating it. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I know that's not how you do cocaine, <laughs> So, nice try. <laughs> that's adorable. A friend of mine was saying, um, he came back after the school holidays, I think, and all his family had been away on holiday together. And he said that they were all planning the trip and his aunt, who he doesn't like very much, um, was like, well, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to do laundry on the trip um, and it's great. So I've got um, I've, I've, I've got to, I don't want to bring the whole box of laundry stuff with me. So I've got a zippy bag full of laundry powder and I'll bring it with me. And this is the best idea ever. And Mike was like, uh, I'm not telling her. And his mom was like, uh, no, you can't bring that on the plane. <laughs> Oh my god! I mean, it would be instantly obvious what it was. Just to open it and smell, smell the freshness. But maybe you're not supposed to do that if you think it's cocaine and you're like a drunk. Well, I mean, I'm not brain. suggesting they stick their nose in. Laundry powder is very heavily scented. Just open the bag near yeah. you, and you'd be like, "That's fairy. <laughs> That's personal non-bio. <laughs> this cocaine is very uh, heavily perfumed." <laughs> I don't think that's the kind of thing I want to put up my nose. Oh my god, what have they cut this with? <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, that's uh, yeah. straight into cocaine in the first five minutes of the podcast. Yeah, there's no cocaine in this book, though. Yeah, drugs were not invented yet in this book. I, I, no. I'm aware they totally were, but <laughs> drugs in <laughs> YA novels were not invented yet. No. Yeah, I um, I read a couple of them growing up because... Um, I think my dad felt that as a as an expat American, I needed to connect with my cultural American heritage. So <laughs> he made sure that on some visit back to back to the states, we got some Nancy Drew books so that I could like have the quintessential American childhood experience of reading Nancy Drew. Did you like them? Yeah, they were grand. Like I didn't I didn't get super obsessed with them, um, as I tended to do with things that I liked, but like. Yeah, they were fun enough. They didn't make a huge impression either way, I think. Reading this, um, I have a new headcanon about the Babysitter's Club, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is that, so we know that Anna Martin, well, or we, we believe that she started writing the Babysitter's Club because she was like, the Sweet Valley books are so god awful. Um, <laughs> we need them to write it to read something more wholesome. Uh, and <laughs> I wonder if Claudia's librarian parents, who don't like her reading Nancy Drew books, initially didn't like her reading Sweet Valley books. <laughs> uh, and, and the publishers were like, no, this is too close of a competitor. We kind of, we don't want to, you know, poison the well here a bit. Let's... We don't want Francine to come for us. <laughs> well, Francine is a ton of people. No, yeah, I suppose Francine is a lot of people and so is Carolyn Keane. Um, so yeah, there could be a, a West Side Story kind of mob. Yeah, and Anne is only one person. She... She can't compete with Francine. If it all goes down, Francine is an army. <laughs> At least not until she like got a whole crew of ghostwriters on board. <laughs> yeah. Headcanon accepted. This is a headcanon of reality, but I still accept yeah. it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh yeah, I'm sorry. I know I know I have too many headcanons about reality. Um Oh my favorite nothing i said there was a criticism (laughs) yeah reality headcanons are the most fun it makes so much more sense to me like because none of us could really figure out no matter how strict the kishis are why you would be so opposed to these fairly inoffensive mid-century detective novels that have a bit of little feminist streak in it like um they're not they're not great literature it's kind of clunkily written but like they're harmless you know you've 
got a 12 year old who's doing badly in school and can't spell you should just be happy she's reading exactly right but if you found out your 12 year old was reading nothing but sweet valley high books yeah i think you might genuinely be like listen well to be honest i would feed her better stuff you know <laughs> so those books have have abhorrent moral messages yes yeah you'd be very upset whereas nancy drew is just not terribly well written yeah yes um, I, I I think it makes more sense for them to have like actively disapproved of Sweet Valley than Nancy Drew. Hundred percent, that would make way so more much sense. more sense. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I I'm I buy it. Because cool. like this book is just so harmless. I think reading it, I realized I, I'm glad I never read it as a kid. I don't think I would have enjoyed them. Um, I wasn't into reading about older teenagers. Mm. I like to read about kids my own age. Um, and the itch I think that these would have scratched was nicely scratched by Enid Blyton, where the kids were more my own age. Yeah. Or like, I, you know, the famous wife kind of grew up throughout the books, yeah. but they started off young enough that I could wasn't terrified of them and could relate to them. Whereas like Nancy is a, a fairly sophisticated 18-year-old or 16 as she was in the original edition. Um, and I would have been like 10 or so reading this going, the fuck does this have to do with me? <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. Which is weird because, I mean, like, I was fine with, say, Sherlock Holmes, but then that was an adult from long ago. This was meant to be... I, I was meant to relate to her as a young person, but I was 10 and she was terrifyingly grown up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I was still supposed to relate to her, so I couldn't. No one assumed I would relate to Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> oh, interesting. It's like the Uncanny Valley version of relating to somebody. Yes, yeah, kind like, of. <laughs> she's a bit like me, but she's not enough like me or different enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I was not. I was not comfortable with that area as a child, so I think I would not have enjoyed these. I mean, I would have read one if I was somewhere and it was the only book, and I probably would have enjoyed the story, but I wouldn't have sought out more of them. Um, just because, like, I still don't find Nancy terribly relatable. Like, I don't have an endless succession of attractive dresses no job but plenty of money at a sports car um so yes and i can't fix a tire and a motorboat all by myself <laughs> yeah i know i love how she just took apart that motorboat engine and rebuilt it i'm like she's very skilled i know i was starting to at some point in my mind she kind of shifted into uh, because she's uh um the daughter of a lawyer who consults her around the table she started to be um share from Clueless, yeah, uh, with the dad, like it's um, <laughs> that would be wonderful. It's not a bad like analogy, yeah, really. Except that Cher is still in high school and Nancy has clearly graduated and can kind of like do what she likes with her time, which also like there's some real escapism. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh god, yeah. I mean, this is th th there is a lot of. I mean, you know, it, it's thrown around, but like she's a Mary Sue in all the best ways. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, like in the like you know, oh, what a life she leads. She's good at many things. And she's, this is great. She's rich, she's meddling, and she's going to use her powers for good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it makes for a very satisfying read, I yes. think. Yes. As long as you're not one of the Topham sisters who are gratuitously bad. <laughs> well, obviously, none of us are anything like the Topham sisters because they're bad people. Yes, exactly. Yes. So it's fine that they get humiliated. The other thing I did notice, though, which is really great, um, is that, so despite the fact that Nancy is very privileged, um, there is like a clear sense of disapproval of people who are like wealthy and showy and spend money and talk only about social status and clothes and all that stuff. Um, and like 
the this is so different to Sweet Valley. <laughs> I like, know. Right? At some point between the 30s and the 80s, there was just a change between what <laughs> what's aspirational. Yeah, what's aspirational exactly? What that reminded me of was um, actually Enid Blyton's disdain for the vulgar nouveau riche. Yeah. Mm. But this doesn't have Enid Blyton's like terrible take on class. Oh yeah. Uh, which is nice. I remember just thinking, gosh, America in the 1930s was far more egalitarian, wasn't it? As I read it, uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, in, 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 when it comes to class, um, in a lot there of ways. There are no black people, as far as we can tell. I, t- I stress, when it comes to class. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're a little less, uh, a little less obviously snobby about things than he did like was. But um, it was just the plucky teenage heroine was reminding me of Blighton a lot. And I was thinking about it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it like there's there's actually so much lighthearted crime fiction for children from the 20th century. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, there's this whole meddling kids genre. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I do think that probably in the Babysitter's Club books, when they're trying to solve the mystery of whatever bullshit they've made up in their own heads there isn't really a mystery <laughs> they are 100 percent just being like it is our turn to be the meddling kids yes. just like in all those books yeah um yeah well, i love it they were generally detecting real hard in a space that was just devoid of mystery um and then you were like well okay this is to be expected but then you try and apply those to your own life and you're like, this is even more disappointing. <laughs> it's literally just people walking around and going to work and doing things. Yeah, basically the Babysitter's Club occasionally think they're in the meddling kids genre, but they yes. never are. <laughs> yes. Except for the fact that ghosts are real. They've got that going for them. They do, which is a, which is an advantage. But I yeah. think they catch a bunch of criminals, actually. I think they do. Yeah. They, <laughs> Stony Brook turns out to have quite a lot of heists and dog nappings and stuff. They generally play believably minor parts in this, though. Yeah. Rather than, you know, like, full on. Like, they don't get into the mild peril stage. Yes, they're never um, forced to climb into a bin of grain. Although I will just point out um, Dawn getting stuck in the dumbwaiter that time <laughs> while listening to the yeah. pair of thieves and fraudulent <laughs> yeah. scammer guys. Anyway, yeah, listen to our Halloween episode from like <laughs> two years ago. Oh wow! So there was that whole thing. We did, um, we did have that. Yeah, yeah. They they do occasionally get to do some proper full on meddling. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's usually in the in the in the super mysteries, in the specials, or in the mysteries. Yeah, yeah. In the main series, yeah, there tends to be not a whole lot of peril going on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Should we? Uh, should we recap this then? Yes. Two. So we start out with um, <laughs> Nancy Drew is driving along in her brand new convertible and thinking about how nice it is that her dad got her a brand new convertible for her 18th birthday mm-hmm. um, and how if she likes to help him with his work and he depends on her intuition which is I guess this book's equivalent of a babysitter's club chapter 2 <laughs> yes. there's no backstory to recap yet so she's just like I have a great life and my dad's a lawyer. She has just delivered some legal papers. Literally, she had just delivered some legal papers from her father. It's like, I, I, it's probably like just, she's just filing shit, but I like to think that she's just like served a subpoena on some perp. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and she's like, you took it off me. You can't take it back now. And she takes a photo of him with like a really old timey camera. <laughs> Hold real still for like 10 minutes. <laughs> I 
think it wasn't that slow in the 30s. No, it it was fine by the 30s. (laughs) But it would be hilarious. Put your head in the frame (laughs) and don't move. Yeah. Oh, you blinked. Now you look creepy. (laughs) Now I don't have any proof. Um, (laughs) So I'm just going to put shackles on you and drag you into the courthouse. No, yeah, that's that's what I assume she's doing anyway. She's a process server. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) So, yes, she's driving along and then a not very smart small child basically throws herself in front of a van on the road ahead. Yes, not in front of Nancy, in front of a van. Yes. Moving van. Yes, Yes. which is pulling out of a driveway. Um, And the child um, runs away from the van and flings herself off a bridge. This child is not skilled. Her survival instincts are not well developed. No. Um, So she's just narrowly avoided two disasters um, and the van drives off in a big hurry um, and Nancy goes to the aid of the child. Yes. Um, Who has yeeted herself off a bridge but uh, (laughs) has thankfully not drowned herself. But has a head injury. She has a head injury but like but it's grand. It's grand. Nancy brings her back to the house from which she came um, where there are two older ladies who are the um, guardians of the small child. Yes, they're her great aunts because she's a, she's a winsome orphan moppet and I'm sorry but <laughs> I laughed a lot at the fact that the girl's parents were killed in a boat explosion. <laughs> yes, a boat explosion! A boat explosion! So specific! <laughs> I was like, if it had been a boating accident I wouldn't have even noticed but a boat specifically exploded. I <laughs> Boat go boom! <laughs> Amazing. It, it's not even during the war. It's a, it's, this is the interwar period. Like, there's no excuse. Her parents were killed in a boat explosion in 1927. There's no reason for boats to be exploding. <laughs> um, uh, so the child is still unconscious, but Nancy says, I believe she'll come too in a few minutes. <laughs> Nancy's like, even in the 30s, I feel like you should have got a doctor. We'll <laughs> be just like, she's probably fine, though. Yeah, you know? <laughs> she's probably grand. I picked her up and ran across the road, bouncing her around in my arms. So that probably, like, reversed the concussion. So it's fine. If you're unconscious for any length of time, you get a doctor. Yes. Any, it doesn't matter if it's, like, 10 seconds. <laughs> no, it's fine. Because it, Nancy Drew sorted it out. It's fine. Yeah, okay, fair enough. It's The plucky good. protagonist says it'll be okay, so it's totally okay. <laughs> so the um these old ladies decide to tell Nancy their entire fucking life story and life story of yes. everyone they've ever known. That was just bizarre. I, I was really taken aback by that. I think in later books Nancy is a reporter. And I think this is why she has like carte blanche to go around visiting people and asking questions and being nosy. Um, I, it really does feel like Nancy should have a notebook on the go and be like, yeah, really, tell me about your life. Because they just volunteer that um, this little girl, Judy, her boat exploded parents were not wealthy. They had a boat. <laughs> and she is smart like them. And she desperately needs a fancy private education, but they're very poor and they can't afford to give it to her. Yeah, it wasn't a good boat that they were exploded in. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, that's why it exploded. It was crap. The so yes. so good boats don't explode. Exactly. You can take those given. <laughs> the moral of the story is maintain your boats, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and you know, and they thought that they were going to get something in, in, in the will from uh, from a relative of theirs. Named Josiah Crowley. But, <laughs> yes. but it turns out that you, and, and Josiah Crowley lived with the Topham family. 
and left everything to them. Mm. And Nancy knows the Topham daughters. Also, they're the Richard Tophams. I always forget that people used to just be like, the patriarch of the family is the family. Mm. They're the Richard Tophams. And not only does Nancy know them, uh, she went to school with their two bitchy daughters, Ada and Isabel. And Nancy diplomatically says that uh, they didn't see eye to eye on various things, which is code for <laughs> Ada and Isabel are the absolute worst and they deserve everything that's coming to them. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think she um, she clarifies, uh, Nancy did not know Richard Topham, but she was acquainted with his wife as well as his daughters. They were arrogant and unreasonable and disliked by many of the shopkeepers in town. Uh, I, I like that. I like taking the, like, the people who work in the town the word yes. is out yeah. about these girls. And yes. Nancy also knows it. So like she clearly has been like talking to the grocer and been like, really? Yeah. yeah. They're mean to people in service industries. Yes, really important. Ada and Isabel had been unpopular in high school. They had talked incessantly of money and social position, making themselves very obnoxious to the other students. Just not Jessica Wakefield's kind of game. <laughs> yeah, they literally just walked in off a Sweet Valley High book and found themselves in the wrong genre. <laughs> Yes, as far as we know, this town is like Stony Brook, but in the 30s. <laughs> the old ladies who are really remarkably forthcoming about all of their personal business with the complete stranger child who has turned up in their house say that their wealthy relative, Josiah Crowley, had said that he was going to leave them a ton of money, but then he didn't. And also, Josiah has other cousins who were promised a ton of money and didn't get it. So they're planning to contest the will, but they just don't know what to do. Um, and Nancy feels very concerned for them. Um, but uh, then it turns out that because the old ladies are poor, they had sold some of their furniture to the guys in the moving van that had nearly run the little girl over. But it turns out the guys in the moving van also took the opportunity to steal their silver candlesticks and teapot. And also, they're suspiciously ethnic looking. Yes. <laughs> I know, I saw that. I was looking at this going, so I haven't read the original. I don't know if it's easy to get. I assume since it is of a certain time that the version we are reading, which is like the, did you say it was the 80th anniversary? Yeah. yeah. Sanitized. Um, I can't see where that's occurred exactly. Like, but I know, I'm sure there are, there have been some changes. Right. We have to assume. We do get some scenes where we actually hear the criminals talk and do stuff and things, and I'm guessing they acted more ethnic in the original version, but yes, we will use our imaginations as to what that entailed and just um, <laughs> note that the criminals have kind of large noses and move on. Yes, they were short and heavyset. One had dark hair and the other light. They had kind of large noses. That's all, about all I noticed. Okay. <laughs> How large were these noses? They must have been like huge. You weren't up close. <laughs> Maybe they were wearing those Groucho Marx joke, like nose and glass combo. Maybe. identities. Let's go yeah. with that. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's probably preferable. Yeah. So Nancy takes off uh, to try to track down these uh, sketchy moving van guys, but she loses their trail when they... Uh, you drive off down a paved road, TM. Ah. <laughs> Curse these newfangled paved roads. They're ruining my detectiving. I know. These these modern affectations are <laughs> so inconvenient. Um, so she conveniently um, drops into the police and tells them about the teapot theft. 
reflects about how much she hates the Tophams and they definitely don't deserve this money mm-hmm. and wonders if she can ask her dad to pull some strings. This is also the start of like Nancy's incredible wealthy white lady privilege because she pops into this, she reaches the state police headquarters and rather than just being like, I want to report a crime to whoever is behind the desk, she introduces herself to the captain. <laughs> Yeah, it's like well I assume I'll be going straight to the top right on the one hand yeah it's like I have a very important thing to report to you about the theft of a teapot <laughs> on the other hand though I do wonder if like fuck all crime is happening in this town yes I'm guessing they're <laughs> delighted to have an actual crime to investigate but I also think that if she hadn't pulled up in a convertible dressed smartly mm-hmm. and looking upper middle class uh yep you know she probably would have been reporting to the desk sergeant yeah she probably should have done that anyway that's where you go to report crimes like no nancy drew talks to the captain this is top tier (laughs) urgent crime there's a teapot missing karen (laughs) maybe there is only one police officer and it is the captain (laughs) also distinctly possible i i don't think i don't think she's like deliberately doing this i think it just happens when she enters the place they're like i think we need to get the boss yeah (laughs) she just has this aura this plucky teen girl detective definitely has important crimes to report maybe she has a close resemblance to her father as well who they probably know (laughs) yeah yeah her father seems to be the sort of de facto sheriff of this town (laughs) he's involved in everything he knows everyone and everybody's business so yes she goes home um enjoys her fancy house they have a large red brick house which stood well back from the street and was surrounded by tall beautiful trees um she has they have a kindly housekeeper who makes all their meals for them which is very nice and i'm jealous and not at all bitter yes so she's called hannah gruen yeah which made me go do you remember how dawn's father has hired a housekeeper called mrs bruen yes is that a is that a thing or is this is this like a subliminal like Anna Martin didn't realize she borrowed a name? I mean, it could be either. Yeah, like it could be on purpose. Yeah, very yeah. easily. Because like they're both kind of unusual names. Mm. Yeah, neither of those is a. I've never heard either of those names anywhere else other than in these books. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I it would not surprise me at all if that was an on purpose shout out. Mm-hmm. So Nancy tells them the shocking tale of the stolen teapot. Um, <laughs> Hannah Gruen is very upset on behalf of the teapot ladies. Uh, Nancy tells the tragic story of Josiah Crowley's financial dealings. Uh, and luckily, everybody knows everybody's business in this town. It's quite yes. spectacular. No wonder they do when, you know, Nancy or, you know, presumably anyone else will cheerfully announce a dinner to two people who don't know about the situation. Mary and Edna are in financial difficulties. <laughs> like, oh, I'm sure that they'd love you to be telling people that. Absolutely. Tell your housekeeper immediately, they said as she left. <laughs> well, the housekeeper fortunately knows that poor Josiah Crowley was the victim of elder abuse and she's going to tell everyone about yeah. that too. So, You know what? I actually do believe that the, like, a, a kind of a prominent lawyer in a small town and his family know fucking everything and also talk about it over the dinner table. Well, yes. Like, yeah, no. I, I, be, I believe that. He's like a solicitor. Um, yeah. like he's. I suppose they probably are supposed to not tell stuff like people's privileged information. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm reading this entire thing going, I'm sure the Bar Association would have things to say about his, his behaviour, but you know. On the other hand, TV hasn't been invented yet, so. Like, they're not his clients. No. 
So there's no privilege to respect. No, not this conversation, but you know, just throughout the book, I was like, is that ethical? It's probably not ethical. <laughs> no, no, yeah. There's there's a lot of stuff that's like of of dubious ethics, um, and it's fine because it all works out okay in the end. Yes, yeah, and because the Tophams suck, yeah. they, they do. Like. <laughs> It's okay to be slightly unethical when dealing with the Tophams. So, yes, exactly. <laughs> so Josiah Crowley moved in with the Tophams in the last few years of his life and literally fucking everybody knows that they were mean to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was eccentric and they said that they were allowed to be mean to him because he was eccentric. Uh, but uh, Nancy's dad points out that the Tophams suck so they're probably unreliable sources on this. Um, and Hannah, the housekeeper, says... They only took him in because they knew he was going to leave them all his money. And then they speculate about wouldn't it be handy if there had been another later will that left all the money to the nice people around town instead of to the Tophams. It's so convoluted, this conversation. It's just like... The worst info. I don't know why it's here. The most awful foreshadowing. It's like, (laughs) okay, there's going to be a will. There's going to be another will Let's make sure everybody knows there might be a will. And it would solve everyone's problems. Let's have everybody speculate wildly about the possibility that there's another will. I mean, I thought that that was sort of already covered by the fact that, like, we've had several people already, we are aware that at least two groups of people have been like, I thought he was going to leave us something in his will, but he didn't. And Uh maybe this is intended for the, the, the target audience might not know how wills work, so we need to have an awkward conversation about them. Yes. Like, just shovel that on there. My favourite bit here is um, Mr. Drew, who knows literally everything about everyone. I can't emphasise that enough. Mm-hmm. One day, Josiah Crowley became critically ill. Just before his death, he attempted to communicate something to the doctor who attended him, but his words, other than will, were unintelligible. After the funeral, only one will came to light, giving the entire fortune to the Tophams. Dad, do you suppose Mr. Crowley was trying to tell the doctor something about another will which he had put someplace where the Tophams couldn't find it? Nancy asked. Very likely, the lawyer replied. (laughs) I mean... I hate to break it to everyone in this conversation, but the word will is just a really common verb in English. <laughs> like, it's not meaningful when somebody gasps a sentence, con- an incoherent sentence containing the word will on their deathbed. Will you get me some water? <laughs> yeah. Will I be okay, Doc? What's that you say? Will? You've hidden it somewhere the Tophams can't find it and it leaves all your money to nice people? <laughs> Contact my nephew. Will. Will, my nephew. <laughs> Uh, I also like um, in other things that 18 year olds don't commonly say. Her dad says, I was in the First National Bank when Crowley came in with Henry Ralstead. Nancy inquired, the attorney who specialises in wills and other estate matters. (laughs) (laughs) That's just so natural. (laughs) There is nothing stilted about this dialogue. (laughs) Teens these days, they love keeping track of which attorneys specialise in which areas of law. Like, I, I, uh, I, I, I get even that she might even know that just from her and her dad talk about work, but I cannot imagine anyone ever saying that sentence in a conversation like at the dinner table. Oh, that Will's guy. Yeah. If, like, um, the the captain from Brooklyn Nine-Nine <laughs> yes. said that, yes. it would seem a little formal. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I also like her dad's response, which was, yes, I had no intention of listening to their conversation. 
But I couldn't help overhearing a few words that made me think they were discussing a will. (laughs) Your your daughter is a nosy bitch. And you are also a nosy bitch. Yeah. And you also got a whole bunch of information off the doctor who is, like everyone else in this town, a nosy bitch. Because you all know his last words. And you're all eavesdropping. And I love, this isn't the only time that somebody, like, flagrantly eavesdrops on a conversation and is like well it's not my fault that i'm just sitting here on this bench and these people walked by and had a very personal conversation within earshot of me and my my bugging devices (laughs) (laughs) yeah i couldn't help overhearing a lot of extremely plot relevant details and then relaying them to all the other professionals around town plus the apparently 10 people who expected to inherit (laughs) yes because they were nice. <laughs> yes, that's exactly how it works. Totally. Nice people get the money. So fortunately, Mr. Drew is best buds with the attorney who specializes in wills and other estate <laughs> matters. So he invites him out for a sneaky lunch at which he can grill him on wills and other estate matters and to find out uh, if Mr. Crowley by any chance wrote a second will that left all his money to nice people. Um, I suppose this is what passes for laying out the themes of the novel, but it's done in a way that makes you really appreciate Anna Martin's relatively light touch with these things. Yes, <laughs> relatively. Yeah, yeah relatively. <laughs> Come on, she's never written anything as clumsy as this chapter. No, it's it's very, it's very, very clumsy. Um, I, I feel like the characters that have been established here though kind of do make it feel semi-plausible <laughs> like yes. just like oh yeah of course you're gonna go like try and dredge up more information on other people's private legal business and, and naturally given the way everyone in this town is he's gonna tell you stuff you're yeah. getting dirt <laughs> these people are messy bitches that live for the drama yes yes, yes. especially the lawyers yes. here daughter and doctors let me facilitate a professional colleague of mine possibly disclosing stuff to you that he shouldn't. Hey, let's all do shots. <laughs> they don't actually do shots in the book. I just assumed. You don't even need to do shots to get all of somebody's professional secrets out of them. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I love the notion that, like, obviously, when I just assumed when I read that, that, like, Mr. Drew was going to go have lunch with this guy and come back and be like, oh, yes, between us lawyers, we, we, we shared some information. Here it is to Nancy. And so he's like, come with us. I'm like, oh, yeah. The, obviously, the Wilson Estates guy is going to cheerfully, like, reach his professional confidentiality in front of a random 18-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> I love telling teens my business. Either it's like, um, oh, you're a, a demure little teenage girl and he won't mind talking shop in front of you know, in front of you with me because he just won't suspect anything. Or he knows them and he's like, no, here, come here, Nancy, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think it's the latter. I actually do feel like it's the latter. It's it's sort yeah. of a wholesome just lack of... <laughs> lack of professional ethics. Yes. yes. There's the whole like Miss Marple thing where like, oh, you're an unassuming woman and nobody takes you seriously as a threat and therefore they're indiscreet around you. But that's mm-hmm. absolutely not what's going on in this. Nobody underestimates no. Nancy. They just dish... everyone knows nancy's a mary sue and that's why they tell her everything everyone feels that nancy should be informed they go out of their way to tell her stuff like by the way nancy like let me just make sure let me tell you about this boat explosion (laughs) 
We actually don't get enough information on the boat. I know. I want full detail. I was disappointed that the boat explosion turned out to be completely plot irrelevant. I was, was hoping so like somebody blew up their boat, but no, it's just a spontaneous boat explosion. It should have been Chekhov's boat explosion and it wasn't. Yes. Yeah. If there's a boat on the mantelpiece in the first act. It's got to explode before the end of the play. <laughs> Just say a thing which I've noticed about the whole book, which I love. Please do. Um, so some books, um, they can allow you to just jump over a passage of time. <laughs> we don't have to track every single thing that the character does. And some books like to make sure you know exactly what the character is doing at any given time. Do you know the alphabet murders, like with Kinsey Milhone? Yes. Where it, like, it literally tells you every time she pees. And then I typed up my notes and then I went for a run. I did my usual three kilometers and then I walked back <laughs> slowly to as a cool down. I ate a very specific sandwich of a type that we've seen in the previous eight books. It's, it's, ha- like, Nancy is a little bit like this. Thankfully, we don't get to see her peeing, but, um, <laughs> We do get every single meal that she has. Yes. yes. Which is delightful and like um is described in detail. So like <laughs> there's this one bit where like in the midst of this meal with her father, where she's getting all the good dirt, um, we have the line, before Nancy spoke again, she finished the delicious apple pudding which Hannah had made. Which like I'm picturing her just she just has the the pudding basin. <laughs> she's like, No, I've gotta I gotta finish this before we move on. <laughs> I, I know crimes are occurring, but I'm eating pudding. You gotta fuel up so that you can do your best detecting. Like you, you and so then we get we get every single meal that she has. And I'm just I'm so happy that she can just like cheerfully enjoy food and like then run around and solve crimes. I mean, I not to get too po faced about it, but I'm wondering if like this is during the depression yeah i'm wondering if this is part of the like aspirational thing like she has this great lifestyle and she also has as much food as she wants and it's all real nice yeah 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 kind of like how the lashings of ginger beer famous five stuff was during rationing yeah i hadn't thought of that i thought the depression was a little earlier no it started the crash was in 1929 and this book came out in 1930 so yeah oh gosh wow you know, so it's peak depression yeah. so no wonder she's so well off and yeah 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 and like she has a glamorous lifestyle yeah. okay well that's yeah. less fun um and it's it's more it, it, i mean it's still charming i i actually think partly it's because of being like one of the generations that grew up on unit blighton I love those descriptions of food. Yes. Like yes. they they make books seem really homely and welcoming yeah. to me. Um Yeah, I always and... enjoy like descriptions of people eating. Sorry, as long as they're not it's not too in detail about them chewing. <laughs> oh yeah. Karen has a mouth phobia, listeners. Yes, the the, the mouth phobia. No, but like just just I don't want to hear about munching. I definitely want to hear about the pudding. Give me all the details on what was Yes, yes. I, want all, I want the recipe for the pudding. <laughs> yeah. Um I mean, in a it's if this came out in 1930, it's, it could actually be drafted like pre. True, yes, yeah. could. But yeah, no, it's her descriptions are like timeless. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, I like I approve of them. I well, like, to be honest, okay, I didn't approve of them that much while reading this book. I was just like, <laughs> I am not in the mood to read descriptions of lavish meals right now. So please stop. But you know, generally, I like them. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. All right. So we then have like. Also, quite aspirationally, Nancy decides to go clothes shopping because there's a dance coming up at the country club. Mm. She heads off. um, As she goes off to the department store, Hannah watches her and 
montages about how mean the Topham girls are and how <laughs> how uh, <laughs> they were unfair to Nancy and that they suck. And she's she's also been like super supportive and been like, you look out for those Topham girls. <laughs> you stay out of their way. They're going to be mean to you. And she said, thanks for your encouragement. She said to Hannah a little later, giving her a hug. Yeah. Oh, but I'm like, <laughs> the Wakefield's beautiful mother doesn't doesn't give them this kind of pep talk. No, that's true. <laughs> Other people need to be warned about that, about Jessica. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like the mean girl is her daughter. Yes. <laughs> there is no one to warn Jessica about Jessica is her own worst enemy. <laughs> The meanness is coming from inside the house. Exactly. <laughs> yep. The thing I have highlighted here uh, as she gets to the department store is that like Nancy purchased several items for Hannah on the main floor. Isn't that lovely? And mm-hmm. um, then went directly to the Mrs. Wearing apparel section. Yes. On the second floor. Like what else do you do with apparel? <laughs> there must be something else that you might think you do with apparel, but uh, God knows what it is. <laughs> So she, yes, she goes off to buy some some misses wearing apparel. Um, <laughs> but the shop is a bit busy, and guess what? The Topham sisters are there. And apologies, Karen, they're being a massive pair of Karens. <laughs> they literally threaten to go speak to people's managers and have them sacked uh, because the shop is busy and they're not being seen as quickly as they would like. And they even do the "Don't you know who we are?" thing. <laughs> they're amazingly, like, completely unredeemable instantly. Yeah. If you put it in the depression context, that makes a lot of sense as well, where like mean rich people are bad at any point in time, but they're especially egregious. <laughs> like Yes. When like there are a lot of folks struggling to get along TM and some of them work in this shop and they're um, they're they're struggling with the Toppums in particular. <laughs> yeah, they're threatening people's livelihoods, they're being the worst, they're being brats. Um one of them is ugly too. The other one is pretty, but she has an artificially elegant manner of speaking, so we can still hate her for that. Oh, and uh, she, there's something weird about her face. It lacked character. Yes. I, is it flat? I wonder if it's too flat. Ooh. <laughs> Head cannon accepted. As per um, Lila, Lila Fowler. Fowler. Lila Fowler. Yeah. And her abortive modeling career. <laughs> yes. We have never forgiven that book for making us read it. <laughs> no. <laughs> And I think it's quite clear that we never will. I mean, Karen said earlier that this book was a nice break from Sweet Valley and it's literally a year since we read a Sweet Valley book. And actually, we really enjoyed that, but it was a it was a whole thing. <laughs> we really enjoyed complaining vociferously about the book after having read it. Yes. But, yeah. but yes, we didn't enjoy the reading that we had to do to get through that. Mm-hmm. These girls are being terrible. Um, the sales lady is bringing them lots of dresses and they're like basically throwing them around and chucking mm-hmm. them on the floor and stuff oh one of them steps on a dress yes and rips it yeah well nancy like picks it up mm-hmm. uh so she can't step on it anymore and she tries to like rip it out of nancy's hands and then tears it yeah so they literally run away <laughs> <They're> just like <laughs> okay let's get out of here <laughs> that's vamoose <laughs> yeah like it was nancy's fault we're leaving. Nothing says innocent like running away. And the staff are like, oh, we know the Toppums. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah we're just we're just used to this. And Nancy, uh, bless her. She's very nice. She's like, actually, I love this dress. Let's see if we can sew it up and I'll just buy it anyway. And I don't want anyone to get in trouble over this. And it'll be fine. She says, please call the fitter now, which is yes. like such an incredible, oh like, just insight into 1930s shopping where you like the dress. 
somebody in house is going to tailor it to you. Yes. Well, if you're shopping the kind of shops that Nancy goes, yes, it's yeah. one of the finest shops in River Heights, apparently. Um, but yes, this magical lady called the fitter turns up and alters the dress so that it looks better and you can't see the tear. And I think we need to normalize fitters. Yes. Uh, we need to bring them back in a hurry. Amazing. Oh, <laughs> I I brought like two items to a repair shop recently. One was like a jumper. I am terrible at sewing. One was a jumper that had a rip in it. The other was a pair of jeans I had bought online. and hadn't noticed that they came with like pre-ripped oh, no. knees. And my knee was really cold. Oh, you got and, it professionally sorted. Yeah, I was like, I thought about trying to do it myself, and then I'm just like, I am bad at this. I won't. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's fine. So I brought it in, and they were like, now it's not going to be, you know, they kind of explaining that like it's basically kind of it looks still looks rough when it's repaired because it's 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 not like an you you know that something's been fixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was like, oh, it's fine. I like. It's not an aesthetic issue. My knee is cold. <laughs> anyway, it's like, yeah, my knee is cold. Yay! Yay. Great. A happy ending. And your knees are warm. I know. So yes, the <laughs> the shop ladies are also fortunately messy bitches that live for the drama because they have <laughs> gossip and they're going to share it. They talk about how nice Nancy is and what a lovely customer she is and how unlike the Toppums she is because they suck. And uh, they're going to be even worse when they get Josiah Crowley's money. The woman lowered her voice. The estate hasn't been settled, but the girls are counting on the fortune already. Last week I heard Ada say to her sister, Oh, I guess there's no question about our getting old Crowley's fortune, but I wish father would stop worrying that somebody is going to show up with a later will which may do us out of it. (laughs) That sure is some handy, handy gossip. Nancy was too discreet to engage in gossip with the saleswoman, but she was interested and excited about the information. Nancy, you are engaging in the gossip. Nancy only engages in gossip with her own class. She listens to the gossip from everyone, though. Yeah, but she won't (laughs) reciprocate with the sales ladies, but she's absolutely sitting there with a bucket of popcorn. She goes off to this indiscreet lunch with her dad's work colleague. (laughs) Mr. Drew butters him up by reminiscing about their college days and their profession. (laughs) And then after dessert, uh, Mr. Drew steers him around to the top. Remember how we're lawyers. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) of being a lawyer. Hey, you know your clients. Tell me all their <laughs> details. Um, so the lawyer says that this isn't actually his case, but he's followed it rather closely uh, because he too thinks that Mr. Crowley made a second will. Uh, with a quick glance about, he lowered his voice and said, of course, this is strictly confidential. End chapter. <laughs> I know. End chapter in the middle of a sentence. Bold move. That is such a good chapter transition. I want yes. to steal it. To be honest, I I love somebody saying this is strictly confidential, and then you have to wait for next week. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yes, I don't care how hackneyed it is. Yeah. Oh no, it is. It is. I mean, it's a cliche because it works. It works. I actually think loads of this book. I was like, oh, this is hilariously cliche, and then I was like, is this? one of those cases where the cliches are being invented as we read. I have a like, feeling it's not. I have a feeling <laughs> that this book was cliched already when it came out. I mean, maybe. I mean, detective fiction isn't that old of a genre. It's kind of like 1890s at the point this comes out. Yeah. Um. There's there's a, a lot of it in the meantime, but maybe not much featuring like women this age. No, there wouldn't be a lot of that. No, I reckon probably this is a plucky girl detective early adopter. Mm. 
I'll Hold be on. right back. I have a cat giving out. Hold on. Okay, I've got to do cat-related stuff as well. They're both in here. Why are they? I don't have a cat. We'll get your cat. Don't worry. I don't want a cat. <laughs> no, but it's grand. We'll sort you out. <laughs> All right. In the next chapter, uh, Mr. Drew says, Confidential, you may rest assured that whatever you tell us will not be repeated to anyone. I am pretty sure he reneges on this because this all becomes part of the case they build, but whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, so Mr. Alstead has no professional ethics and says that Josiah Crowley told him that he wanted to leave his money to multiple nice people, but that he wanted to write the will himself and asked for advice on how to do this. But then he went he went away and then we have some discussion on the legalities of writing your own will and not leaving it with a lawyer. And it turns out as long as the will was handwritten, it'll be totally fine. In this state, which is not specified which state it actually is. No. So who knows if that was ever the law anywhere. It doesn't matter. It's I mean, fine for this. Probably somewhere. <laughs> what would happen, Nancy asked, if a person were ill or dying and had no witness and wanted to make a will? As 18-year-olds commonly say. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Alstead smiled. That sometimes happens. Yes, that is a nice thing to contemplate. (laughs) Somebody on their deathbed, alone and unsupported. In this case, I think it's much more like, I'm surrounded by people I hate and I'm going to make my own will. (laughs) It's going to be great. My own will with blackjack and hookers. (laughs) Nancy gave no indication of her feelings, but the possibility that Mr. Crowley had made a new will thrilled her. Yeah, I'm sure she gave no. Yeah. <laughs> Nancy is living for this. Oh, yeah. I also like how, you know, the way in every Babysitter's Club book we do, we look for the advice and for the life tips and the hacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've never given us any estate planning <laughs> advice. So no. this is really useful. Yes. You may or may not need witnesses, but if you don't have them, here's how you go about it. You know, babysitting context. <laughs> you have to make a will for somebody. <laughs> Also, tell someone where the will is before you're on your deathbed and can only croak, Will. <laughs> if you get to that point, you've left it too late. Yes, you've left it yep. too late. Nancy is super excited and decides she's going to set off and look for clues. And her dad is like, cool, okay, do some more legal courier work for me. And then off you go and run this <laughs> investigation. We use the word illegal a lot. I said legal. Oh, I thought you said illegal. No, no. No, legal, as in... Right. I thought you were like, oh, it's because she's an unlicensed bounty hunter. No, it's because she's <laughs> dropping legal documents to a judge. And the judge, recognising that Nancy is a protagonist, immediately asks her to have lunch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, with him and his wife, just to clarify. Yeah. He, he doesn't... He's not like, hey, yes. let's go out to this little bistro I know. He's like, no, come to my home. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing untoward here. Oh, God, no. So they talk about Josiah Crowley some more. Um, Their maid used to work for the the Tophams, so that's pretty handy. <laughs> Let's disclose some more personal information. <laughs> that someone else disclosed to us. Um, he They have seen him in their town, which is Masonville, but he has no relatives or friends there, and the place is apparently a dump, so there's no <laughs> other reason why a guy might want to go there unless he had some kind of legal business in town maybe he wanted to buy a lot of mason jars the other thing that the town is famous for i I just assumed karen should i go home yes i know you're already home but go further home (laughs) i'll see what i can do so nancy um has got a lead on some other people 
um, some friends of Josiah Crowley called the Hoovers. So she's out drive, basically trawling the neighborhood looking for their house. And she gets caught in a thunderstorm. And the cool button on the dashboard that's supposed to raise the convertible roof malfunctions and she gets soaked. Mm. Which is kind of unintentionally funny. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's very undignified. So she drives into a barn to shelter and then here's a piercing scream. End of chapter. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this has like a Dan Brown like commitment to ending every yeah. chapter on a cliffhanger. But also like, yeah, Nancy, you went into a complete stranger's barn. There's someone in there. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, oh no, I hope I didn't kill anyone. But it turns out she just startled someone in a pile of hay. Who wasn't expecting a car to drive into the barn. <laughs> yeah, you would be quite startled. So there's one line I want to just mention briefly mm-hmm. where um, Nancy uh, is described in um, heading out to, in fact, to the judge's house uh, in her convertible, selecting a recently constructed highway, Nancy rode along. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you know what road will I take? I'm going to take the newest, and I have my notice. Infrastructure porn. Yeah, I mean, like we could sit there and go, "Oh, how 1930s recently constructed highway," but like that's like sitting there in Ireland being like, "She decided to go the new motorway." <laughs> like, Ooh, la la, <laughs> the M50. Well, <laughs> notions. We were all alive. When a lot of motorways were, I mean, a motorway still being constructed out or this way, like the there's now an M17. Um, what? <laughs> not the N17, but the M17. That's true. Okay, yeah, motorways were new and exciting within our lifetimes. Oh, we still get like kind of like, if I were to drive to Sligo now, I'd be like, ooh, I get to go on a motorway. Cool. <laughs> That's a new thing you can do. Drive to Sligo on a motorway. I think I never, or like, it took me a very, very long time anyway to like work out that highways and motorways were the same thing. Because one of them is American. <laughs> it's just a big American road. <laughs> that That is very different from the sort of cultural cachet that the motorway has. <laughs> I presume it's the same thing. Yeah, is, I think yeah. they're pretty much the same thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think it took me a little while to realize that as well, but largely because I also associated highway with like highwaymen, <laughs> which was not a motorway, obviously, because motors hadn't been invented. And, and there's no such thing as motorway men. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would be hard. The cars are all doing 120. They flag you down and are sad when you don't stop. Your money or your... Oh, he's gone. Ah! <laughs> anyway, yeah. So... She heard a piercing scream in the barn that she had just driven into. <laughs> yeah, it turns out when you drive into other people's property unannounced, they get a bit of a fright sometimes. But um, the person in the barn turns out to be Alison Hoover, who is one of the people she's looking for anyway. So that works out mm-hmm. nicely. And Alison is very good humoured about her nearly killing her. Um, so they take her. she takes her back to her house where she lives with her sister, Grace. In a rundown farmhouse. Uh, in a rundown farmhouse, uh, which they they run the farm themselves. Um, Nancy decides not to announce that she's there to pry, but she gets on with prying pretty soon. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> like everyone else in River Heights, these girls are very helpful and tell her all their business. Yes. Nancy was attracted to both girls and responded to their friendly welcome. She put on a robe which Alison brought her and Grace hung her wet clothes near the range. <laughs> yeah, this whole interlude had like 
massive gay vibes. Yeah, massive gay vibes. Yeah. Like, nobody gives, like, Nancy a, a shoulder massage and tells her that she's very tense. But, like, <laughs> you feel like it's going to break out. They're all a bunch of gals being pals together. <laughs> yeah. 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 So the Hoovers um are not well off. um, And they have a very... Oh, my God. It's... What's Matilda from Roldal? What's... um. Her teacher's name. Is she also Miss Hoover? No, Miss Honey. No, she's Miss Honey. Honey. Miss Hoover is Lisa Simpson's crappy teacher. Yes, okay, there we go. Um but yeah, Miss Honey has a very similar vibe where she's living in basically an unfurnished cottage with furniture made out of like crates and stuff. Crates. Yeah. But she's hung up curtains because that's the thing that you do if you move into a hovel and are a woman. You put up lace curtains the second you get your hands on them yes to prove that you're respectable though poor oh yeah have standards yes yes but they're very poor because josiah crowley said he'd leave them a bunch of money but then (laughs) to their surprise he didn't (laughs) which there's a lot of that about (laughs) is josiah crowley actually the baddie you're asking yourself (laughs) at this point did he not have any money was he in fact gaslighting everyone yes (laughs) This wouldn't be the first time in history that that has happened. Yeah, usually it doesn't turn out there was a second will. Usually they were just jerking you around. I mean, it's basically the whole town, except for the rich, rich lawyers who have been told <laughs> yes. that they're getting some money out of this guy when he dies. Yeah. Um, everyone's been promised a chunk of change. Um, and the Hoovers are understanding but sad that he apparently changed his mind and decided not to leave them a bunch of money because Alison has a beautiful voice and she totally needs vocal lessons so that she can become a successful singer but she can't afford them and if only there was another will that left a bunch of money to them then she could get singing lessons and it would all be okay yes it's this is the point where um it becomes apparent that nancy is um the protagonist in a video game and all the people she's talking to are npcs (laughs) yes um and she just has to go around and first talk to all of them and work out what the basis of the quest yeah and then mention josiah crowley and they'll be like oh josiah crowley he promised me some money (laughs) yes (laughs) like i would have been an opera singer but then i took an arrow to the knee and had no money Uh, because this just happens it just keeps happening <laughs> again, and again yeah. yeah everybody is poor and worthy and <laughs> sad but not like expecting that they deserved the money yeah which proves that they did deserve the money. <laughs> yes they're just wistful <laughs> and yeah nancy just has to go around and unlock this bit of dialogue with each person <laughs> yes. yes she drives by her dad's office um and tells him everything that she's learned in her extremely productive morning um and then phones the hoovers i was amazed they have a phone yes i was impressed really surprised all all the deserving poor people have phones in this well one of them doesn't and i was like that's what i would expect yeah is that like if you were if you had not very much money in a small town in like 1930s america you might have a phone it wasn't necessarily a given yeah but these very poor girls living on an isolated farm totes have a phone. So she phones them up and says that her dad has agreed to, like, pro bono help them out non-specifically in this whole matter. And then Nancy remembers that a famous singing teacher retired to River Heights a few years ago, but he still takes on some students. So she turns up and says, uh, 
hey, can you listen to my friend sing and see if she's worth teaching or not? And he's like, sure, okay, but I'll be really brutal if she's bad. (laughs) Nancy decides she'll take those off. Nancy laughed too. I like honesty, she said. As a matter of fact, this girl knows nothing about what I'm asking you. Oh my God. So you're just inviting her to come here and like expose her talent or lack thereof. You don't know. You haven't heard her (laughs) sing. Oh, no, she has heard her sing. But you don't know, yeah. though. Like, you're not a world-famous European opera singer teacher person. Yeah, he might be about to Simon Cowler, and then, like, that would crush her dreams. Yes. Yeah. And you still haven't found the will, so you might crush all her dreams. Yeah. Like, yeah, this could have gone so, so badly. If this was a great American novel, it would have gone. Yes. If this was written by John Steinbeck... <laughs> Yes, exactly. I mean, let's take a moment to be kind of glad it wasn't. It would be a very different book. We would be having a different kind of podcast right now. Let's agree to never do a John Steinbeck novel. Okay. I mean, that would be a a serious, like, April Fool's (laughs) (laughs) Well, next year, let's all read Ulysses. We don't have time. (laughs) I'm busy next year. (laughs) It's going to take more than a year. I have definitely owned a copy of Ulysses for, Mm -hmm. let's say, 20 years now. (laughs) I've read some bits of Ulysses. The closest I've got to it is watching a lot of Ulysses 31. (laughs) Yeah, that's, you know. (laughs) More or less the same thing. Yeah, (laughs) totally. I mean, it's all Odyssey fanfic, right? Um, Complete aside, uh, the we were ahead of the Pat Inglesby craze. (laughs) Yes. I've seen a couple of I know. All of a sudden, everyone's going mad for Pat Inglesby. And it's like, you heard it here first, guys. They're making a documentary. There's an exhibition. Yeah. They've realized that, like, poets don't live forever after a few poets (laughs) of our acquaintance have expired suddenly. And they're like, we better, we better put our stamp on, like, one of the living ones. Well, I'm glad he's getting what's owed to him while he's still alive. Hope he gets a few bob as well. Yeah, exactly. That'd be nice. Um... So a couple of days later, she brings Alison around to Signor Mascagni's house. Uh, He shows them his art collection for some reason. Uh, He has Alison sing America the Beautiful and says that he can definitely make her an operatic star. Which is just a... Quite a lot to promise. Yeah. That implies he has a great like marketing machine. Well, he's a world-famous European singing teacher. Who for some reason has settled in this town. (laughs) Uh, He also decides that because she emotes visibly because he tells her that she's going to be massively successful, that this means she'll be a good actress. Um, Somebody should probably tell him that like having sincere emotions is definitely not the same skill as acting. (laughs) Um, But regardless. Uh, However... He needs a bunch of money in exchange for making her a star. Yeah, he's like, um, I can't take her on for free. Like, so your your options are you don't take her on at all and get no money. Or like you're still retired. Like, you're it's 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 not gonna change the situation. He's like, I absolutely can't take her on without getting some money I can't afford to. He says, I cannot afford to give the lessons free. I know that exposure kills, okay? (laughs) I know know that it's not good to ask artists to do things for free, but that it's... Yeah. But Karen, the novel needs stakes, okay? Yes, okay. So he just can't do it. Yes, he just can't do it. If he's an NPC, it makes so much more sense. 
He is. They're all NPCs. The only character is Nancy. After this, Nancy decides to go for a brisk walk in the park. And she uh, goes off to see the display of roses, which is always very beautiful, which teens love doing. They love going to look at flowers. Uh, yeah. And lo and behold, she sees the Topham sisters sitting on a bench up ahead. <gasps> mm-hmm. They're the last people in the world I want to see right now, Nancy thought. They'll probably say something mean to me and I'll lose my temper. But it's fine because what they actually say is blah, 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 the will. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy had paused, wondering whether she should turn back. No, she told herself, I'll go on to see the roses. <laughs> I'll take that path back of the Tophams and they won't notice me. Nancy made her way along quietly with no intention of eavesdropping on the two girls. Mm-hmm. But then she hears the will. And in a flash, all her priorities change. It must be Josiah Crowley's will they're talking about, she reasoned. Because <laughs> literally that's the only meaning the word will has in this book. I just love the, the amount of, that people are lying to themselves about. <laughs> I know. As you say, she was like, I'm not going to let the presence of my two nemeses distract me from looking at some flowers. <laughs> yes. Okay? It is my right as an American to go and admire the foliage. <laughs> and I'm going to do it. <laughs> and if I happen to overhear them talking about their financial affairs, <laughs> well, I can't help that, can I? They shouldn't be discussing it in a public place in a town as small as this, which actually is true. <laughs> yeah, because the walls have ears in this place, and so do the rose bushes. Yeah, um, with the instinct of a detective who dared not miss a clue, Nancy deliberately moved closer to the bench on which the Topham girls were seated. If there should be another will, I'm afraid we're out of luck. The words in Ada's nasal voice came clearly to Nancy. But Isabel's reply was in so low a tone that the young sleuth could just manage to catch the words. <laughs> so they speculate on whether Josiah Crowley managed to make another will because their mother was apparently spying on him all the time so that he wouldn't have a chance to make one. Um, I'm just picturing him like sneaking off to the bathroom and writing a will on toilet paper or something. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> She's like, you've been in there for an hour. Is everything okay? How do you spell bequeath? I mean, yes. <laughs> and what's worse, I'm sure Nancy Drew thinks he made a later will. Oh my God, everyone has just yeah. inferred so much about everyone else. That's why she's taking such an interest in those Hoover girls. I actually saw them go into Mr. Drew's office yesterday and it wasn't to deliver eggs. Just like, and it's delightfully like... <laughs> like well, I mean, yes, you don't generally deliver eggs to a lawyer's no. office. Like, one of them does raise chickens, but like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it, like I, can, I get why they might deliver eggs, but you're right. That is a very unlikely reason to go to a lawyer's office. <laughs> yes. Even if you sell eggs. If Nancy gets her father interested, he might dig up another will. Oh, how I hate that interfering girl. At this, Nancy could barely refrain from laughing. So the Toppins were concerned about the existence of a second will. With bated breath, she listened further. Also, like, the writing has not said anything about there being, like, a convenient clump of bushes that Nancy's hiding in. She's just <laughs> behind them on a bench. So, like, I'm just picturing they're sitting, like, exposed in the middle of, like, a, a huge field. And she's just literally standing a foot behind them. And they're too thick to notice. Yeah. She doesn't even have a dog. <laughs> she's just standing there. Um. So, yes, they talk at length about how they totally deserve all of Josiah's money. And... uh. 
their parents were scheming to convince him to leave them all their money and they totally deserve it and there'd better not be another will. But Nancy is very excited because this reveals that if there is another will, the Tophams don't know where it is, so she'd better go find it. Um, So this is just, in a book full of extremely convenient coincidences, I think this might be the most convenient of all. It's a close run thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Um, So she decides then that she has heard there were some other relatives uh, of Mr. Crowley who were also promised money by Mr. Crowley. And we can't unlock the next cutscene until we've gone yeah. to talk to them. You've got yes. to talk to all of the relevant, uh, all of the all of the relatives before you continue the main quest. Exactly, but she just doesn't have enough information to do that yet. So yeah. she goes back to the kindly great aunts and the boat explosion orphan, and okay. uh, <laughs> decides to ask if there's any more information they can give her, <laughs> um, and. Also, they admit that their teapot is still missing, uh, which is tragic. Uh, what a shame, Nancy exclaimed. But I'm sure the stolen articles will be found. That's some real unfounded optimism. I think the teapot is probably gone. Yeah. I wonder if there's like, just, did people just politely lie about this stuff? <laughs> Maybe. Or is it just really clunky writing? And Or Nancy is just going to say something that sounds soothing and is like, not something that can be realized in the real world. <laughs> and they're like, God, that girl is patronizing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure the boat will stop being exploded and will reassemble itself someday. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine. So it turns out that the old ladies uh, have heard about the Hoovers and Alison's beautiful voice because everyone knows everybody's business. <laughs> Nancy agrees that their unfounded speculation of a second will is probably correct. Um, so she uh, reinterrogates them about other people who were promised money. So there's some cousins called Fred and William Matthews who live on a farm just outside Titusville. Um who are the old lady's ex-boyfriends. They never got around to marrying uh, because Judy came along and needed minding. Yes, although that was also mentioned previously as having happened three years ago. So the timeline makes no sense in this at all. Many years ago, Fred proposed to Mary and William to me and we came near accepting. But just at that time, we had the great tragedy in the family and took Judy's mother to rear. So we decided not to marry. Ah, so it was was a previous tragedy. Yeah, they raised... They raised Judy's mother. Multiple generations of exploded boats. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) These people should not go out in the water. No. Yeah, you'd think you'd just stop after a certain point. So, hang on. The boat explosion is not the great tragedy. The great tragedy is something else. No, the great tragedy happened to Judy's mother's parents. (laughs) It was something worse. (laughs) Do we know what that is? I'm going to go with another exploding boat. <laughs> yeah. Like, like the, the second one was like a, a, an engine on a motorboat. The first one was like a steam engine. The boiler exploded. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> it's boats all the way down. Exploding boats all the way down. <laughs> okay. So sad. <laughs> it's not like if multiple drownings in a family I could accept. Just... To lose one set of parents in a boat explosion is tragic. <laughs> to lose two is downright careless. 
We should put a trigger warning for boat explosions. <laughs> but in case the family of Lord Mountbatten is listening. <laughs> Esther, it's very insensitive of you to assume. Yeah, I don't think the family of Lord Mountbatten is listening. Probably not. I, I think if they were, they'd hate us a bit. I mean, none of us are their biggest fans. No, I don't think we've made our views that explicit up until this point. We we don't really give off pro-aristocracy vibes as all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> are we all okay? Yes. Um, Alright, so they conveniently can give Nancy detailed directions to the house of Fred and William Matthews. Also, she stays for lunch. They insist on her staying for lunch. Yep. Alright, Nancy agreed, and thank you very much. It was nearly two o'clock when she finally was ready to depart. It's just, this bit is only there for the purpose of establishing that Nancy ate lunch. And played badminton. Yes. Yes. Nothing happens over lunch. (laughs) There is no lunch scene. We don't find out what she ate or anything, but we just need to know that she got fed. That's good. I just, was there coleslaw? Come on, give (laughs) us something here. Oh yes, I know why she has to stay until two two o'clock and have lunch with them. Because that's the only way she can unlock the final piece of information that Edna has to share with her. Which is that there's another NPC that Nancy needs to go see, which is Josiah's wife's cousin, Mrs. Abby Rowan. Who apparently knows more about the will than anyone else, but nobody has thought to mention her up to now. Yeah. She took care of Josiah one time when he was sick, and he thought the world of her. He often declared he intended to leave her something. She's a (laughs) widow and has very little. Even a few thousand dollars would mean a lot to her, Edna added. Abby must be over 80 years of age and growing forgetful. (laughs) I mean, a few thousand dollars is quite a lot of money, and it certainly was in 1930 as well. So yes, I'd say it would make quite a difference to her. Even now you wouldn't say no to it, like if you were offered. Oh God, no. Um, Yeah, I think it's very murky as to why she moved in with the Tophams. Yeah. It's never really explained, or what their what what power they had to keep him there. I think they yeah. just nagged him a lot. Um, but but he like, clearly has lots of family friends who, if he love went to them with a ton of money and yeah. said, "Can you put me up for a while?" would have been like, "Yes, <laughs> if you don't mind paying some bills, then sure." <laughs> That's true. It's never really explained why he moved in with these horrible people who were mean to him. He's also like constantly explained as being like this this eccentric who does his own thing and. Like, yeah. why would someone like that be like, oh no, I have to stay with the Tophams even though they're mean to be? Like, I really would have expected him to be like, ha, screw this, I'm out. Move into the chicken farm or the two bachelors' house. Who cares? You're eccentric. Live with the many kindly people who like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I give them some money for rent and everyone's happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nancy takes off to visit the Matthewses and has a baffling interlude with a puppy. Um, yeah, which goes nowhere and serves no plot purpose. Yeah, I was kind of waiting for that to be relevant. Yep, we never see the puppy again. Nancy introduces herself to the Matthewses um, and instantly starts interrogating them about their financial affairs and brace yourselves, guys. They completely tell her everything. <laughs> Important to note right here is that they are a pair of silver foxes. Um yes. Both were tall, spare, and strong-muscled. Though their hair was grey, the men's faces were youthful and unwrinkled. This is just another scene of like... (laughs) These people are gratuitously hot. They are. There's no need for this. We know that they want to marry the elderly ladies 
I like that actually that there was no attempt made to make the elderly ladies appear unnecessarily hot. <laughs> just have a pair of boyfriends. Just random elderly man candy over here. God, that's another kind of Kinsey Milhone alphabet murders kind of thing. <laughs> yes, lovable old men. She has a um a landlord who she's like he's like eighty five, but I would totally do him if he asked. Who <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is basically described in exactly the same like right actually <laughs> and he bakes bread for me every week and it's amazing <laughs> in every book she tells you that he used to be a commercial baker but he still bakes for fun on the weekends it is is those books equivalent of stacy's diabetes and then you get a scene where he makes her like buns and brings them over or something and to be honest that was a highlight <laughs> yes i always enjoyed that scene when he turned up a cake <laughs> so yes these guys who i think i have now had canon they're the ancestors of henry the commercial baker yeah they tell her everything, despite the fact that she's literally just a random child who turned up on their property <laughs> and started asking a lot of personal questions. Uh, Cousin Josiah promised them some money and then didn't leave it to them. And they're very surprised. They were very surprised by the will that left everything to the Tophams. Um, and they would dearly love to go travel the world. But uh, no, they can't. They also have good reasons <laughs> other than marriage. So for the ladies, they would like to get married. But these guys want to go traveling. Yeah. The ladies would also like to like educate their child. So Yeah, I mean, that's kind yeah, of there's that primary thing. Maybe they'll all go off to Europe. Yes, it would be very educational for little Judy. In the thirties. Maybe they should go to South America or somewhere. I don't know. No, I don't know. Go see Europe now in the thirties. It's gonna get much yeah. harder. Yes. <laughs> go see it before it gets blown up. Like so many boats. <laughs> So the next day, Nancy goes around to visit uh, Abby Rowan um, and finds a small, picturesquely decrepit cottage containing a picturesquely decrepit old woman who has literally just fallen over and injured her hip um, and can't afford a doctor and can't phone anyone. And thank God Nancy's here. I think she's actually been on, like, she's been injured for, like, a day or so. Yeah. It's not, like, the five minutes before Nancy arrives. No. Thank God you arrived, Nancy. I think there is, like, Okay, she says light. it was yesterday. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. Nancy turns up and takes charge and first aids her and buys a bunch of groceries and antiseptic bandages, which are apparently great for a sprained hip um, <laughs> or ankle or whatever. At no point is a medical professional called it. Actually, though, I think she... she declines medical assistance but yeah. Nancy is like okay well I'm gonna like get all up in your business in every other possible way though yeah also yes. tell me about Josiah Crowley <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes um Nancy gives her some food and she eats it and reflects there aren't many folks willing to come in and help an old lady if Josiah Crowley had lived things would have been different I could have paid someone to look after me it's strange that he didn't provide for you in his will said Nancy quietly <laughs> and the woman reliably dishes and tells her everything and she in fact saw the uh, much fabled second will that leaves everything to nice people because Josiah mm. came around and showed it to her um, but because Abby is old and forgetful TM she can't remember the exact date but Josiah showed it to her and specified that a lawyer told him how to do it so that it would be nice and legal why he didn't like just get a lawyer to do a normal fucking will but he's eccentric Aoife he doesn't play by your rules. Well, I think he should have in this one instance. Like, there's a reason people, like, don't make secret second lawyerless wills and hide them. Yeah, and it's called conformity. 
think outside the box. <laughs> this town is not short of lawyers, so <laughs> Yeah, but he's just he's just not built that way. He's a free spirit. He's an individual. He's California casual. <laughs> so Mrs. Rowan um cannot remember. She knows that Josiah said he had hidden the will somewhere safe, but her forgetful memory kicks in and she can't remember where he said he would hide it. Uh but then she looks at the clock and remembers that there's something important to do with a clock, but whatever it is has slipped her mind. And also, there's something about a notebook. At that very moment, the clock on the mantel chimed 12. Abby's eyes fluttered open and an odd expression passed over her face. For an instant, she stared straight before her, then slowly turned her head and fastened her eyes on the clock. End of chapter. <laughs> End of chapter. Yeah, that sounds really menacing. I'm picturing like a you know, China doll that's come to life and its head is slowly turning around. Yes. And so she can't remember. She can't remember, but she knows there's something about a clock. And then she can't remember, but she knows there's something about a notebook. And the notebook is crucially important. And she basically, she knows some keywords and knows enough to like drip feed Nancy (laughs) some keywords, but can't remember any details. And if I didn't know better, I would absolutely think she was just messing with her. She literally goes, oh, dearie me, there goes my memory again. (laughs) Although baffled, Nancy felt a growing conviction that the whereabouts of the Crowley will was definitely tied up with a clock of some kind. Also, Nancy maybe knows the title of this book. But she pondered, why did the striking of the mantle clock remind Abby Rowan of the notebook? God, it's the most unsubtle thing ever. My notes here say, maybe it's in a clock. God, Karen, you have the most like staggering deductive capabilities of anyone since Nancy Drew herself. Galaxy brain is happening right now. <laughs> yes. However, Abby's clock does not contain a notebook. But Nancy reflects that there must have been a family clock in the Crowley home and that probably the Tophams have it now. Oh, well. <laughs> No more is said about this. Uh, she gets a neighbour to have one of the county's visiting nurses come in and look after Mrs. Rowan. I, I'm glad that there is some attention paid to the fact that there is somebody who actually needs help here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there is a... It's the 30s, but there is a mechanism for getting somebody to... There's a social safety net. Yes. Yeah. You love to see it. In the depression. Fancy that. <laughs> I know it. There's an agency and everything. Um, and also the neighbours, there seems to be actually quite a lot of neighbours who, once they realise that their neighbour is sick, will actually go and check too. Yes. So there's yes. like a community aspect as well. It's um, nice. Yeah. yeah. It's not just, uh, <laughs> not, it's not the John Steinbeck equivalent where presumably she would be abandoned. Like. <laughs> Left to die. Or like a Victorian model where like Nancy will turn up once a month with a basket of ham or something and just assume that this is enough to keep her going (laughs) with some gruel and possibly some flannel what more do you need we then have another um delightfully convenient coincidence um nancy's hot friend helen corning turns up (laughs) sorry slim attractive friend (laughs) yeah you said what you said yeah i said what i said because it's in the text Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm just abbreviating um Helen is trying to sell tickets for a charity ball uh, and also she wants to go to a summer camp run by her aunt uh, but she has to sell tickets and oh whatever shall she do but then Nancy has a brainwave and says that she will buy the tickets off Helen and resell them herself so she uses this to get an in to the Topham house 
she comes in, reflects on how tacky their decor is. Yeah, they have mixed modern furniture with old-fashioned stuff, which is a faux pas. Yes, which is funny because nowadays that's like a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but apparently it was a very bad thing in those days. Although also they have a pink carpet and red curtains, which just sound kind of organ-like. It sounds yeah. intense, yeah. But she tells them that she's selling tickets for this charity ball and it will be one of the loveliest affairs in River Heights this year. And because these people are nouveau riche and they're desperately trying to get into society, um, they are totally interested in going to the charity ball. Uh, although Isabel and Ada say that they don't want to go to a ball that just anyone can go to because they only attend the most exclusive affairs. And they're very particular about the people we choose to meet. They absolutely sound like Lila Fowler. Yes, very two-dimensional impressions of what high society people are maybe like. Yes. I don't know because I've never met any. <laughs> yeah, we don't know any high society people. So anyway, the thing is they're not high society people. They're trying to be high society people. Yeah, I definitely don't think this is meant to be a portrayal of high society people i think this is meant to be a portrayal of like desperate wannabes that's the word i wonder is it a very faithful and accurate depiction of desperate wannabes though like there's probably quite a lot of those around perhaps more than there are of high society people whoever those might be. almost certainly it's like a pyramid very likely <laughs> And it's like, don't forget, they're trying to get into the high society of a small town somewhere in Central America, not Central America, Central United States. They're trying to be big fish in a very small pond. Yeah, it's kind of pathetic. So while they're dithering over this, um, Mr. Topham turns up and gives Nancy $100 uh, <laughs> so that not only will they go to the ball, but they will uh, get their names on the programs because now they're like patrons of the charity ball. Um, and then he sits down and reads the stock market reports, uh, which is... Yeah, it's, it's delightful because also, yeah, it's, well, it's 1929 and there's going to be no good news in there. So <laughs> <Yes>. just... <laughs> no wonder his family never dare disturb him when he's reading the stock markets. Does anybody else, again, sorry, just characters morph into more familiar characters in my mind and it's unshakable, but they are now that family from Bridgerton. Is it the Featherstone? Remind me. Oh, the ones with all the daughters in the like yes. multicolored dresses. Yes. And the dad who has gambled away all the income. Yes. Like, is this just an archetype? <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. I'm now very confused because on one end we have Clueless and on the other hand we have Bridgerton, but they kind of work, you know. The, it's fine. The dresses are different, but it's the same people. It's really. it's it's all heavily Jane Austen inspired. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yes, Nancy then decides to um start a conversation about clocks, <laughs> as you do. Which apparently they're eager to pursue. Yes. She she asks them for the time and then asks, "Is there a clock on the mantelpiece? An heirloom, perhaps the old Crowley clock I've heard so much about." <laughs> They're like, no, this is a fancy new clock. We put that in our holiday house up by Moon Lake, near where your hot friend has a summer camp. Dun dun dun. <laughs> when you put it like that, Esther, it all sounds very contrived. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm very cynical. <laughs> so Nancy decides to um, head off to summer camp um, it's very unclear what the whole deal is with the summer camp, but I guess she's going to go be a sort of half-assed camp counsellor for a few days as a cover for doing some sleuthing. No, it's not actually. They 
like they have the camp for their own use before the season yes oh okay which is the weirdest rich girl privilege i have ever heard yeah (laughs) but i'm kind of here for it though i mean it does sound delightful yeah like I can see people being really into that. I just have never, ever heard of it in my life. It would like, be so cool. Like, I would I would definitely go stay somewhere, like, it was like, oh, yeah, well, June, July, August is, is the season, but, you know, definitely come stay here late May. Yeah, just go hang out and swim in the lake. And... It's like the opposite of conspicuous consumption. It's <laughs> yes. like, what can your money buy you that no- nobody will be like, oh, they're so rich. <laughs> like, Well, yeah. okay, some people probably will. Yeah. But you'd have to go out of your way to tell them. <laughs> You're like, I got all the canoes to myself. They were all mine. I could just pick whatever. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I made so many friendship bracelets. <laughs> this isn't wealth. This is knowing people. Yes. Yes. And she was like, she, I love how she goes in the first few days she's there. She just is like hiked off her feet. Yes. <laughs> she's like, I want to do detecting, but they keep making me go on hikes. <laughs> I love it. Also, yes, on the way, she gets a flat tire and changes it all by herself. Mm. And she's like, oh, I don't like doing this, but I totally know how to do this. And I just love this, like, casual display of competence. It's, it's yeah. delightful to me. Mm. I mean, I have definitely had to learn how to change a tire. I've been shown how to change a tire on multiple occasions. And I know oh boy, yeah. if I was on my own in the car and I thought, is that a flat tire? Well, for start, I would be like, I have no idea how to tell when the tire is flat. And I would probably just be like, I'll pretend it's not and keep driving. But if for some reason I successfully identified a flat tire, I would be like, probably crouch the side of the road watching YouTube tutorial videos and crying. <laughs> I think in Ireland, if you stop by the side of the road, put up your hood and look confused, you have like... 14 to 17 minutes before a man with a white van stops and checks yeah. to see if he can help. I mean, I would be I would be very much hoping that like it's I mean, a very small country. <laughs> but yeah, I think also you would be better served by calling the AA and just be like I will pay you. <laughs> so, yeah. Even if you're not with the AA, call somebody. Yeah. But yes, yeah. I love that she just like knuckles down and does it herself and it's fine. Like I I'm yeah. all for teen girls changing their own tires. Absolutely. Like I think Nancy is the kind of uh, Mary Sue who has to know how to do all the things. Yeah. yeah. And if, if somebody needs to reprogram this 1930s punch card computer, Nancy's going to get in there and do it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, speaking of engines, when she gets to the camp, they talk about how there's a motorboat that the girls have the use of, and sometimes the engine acts up. <laughs> but they go off on a nice boating trip, and she spots the Topham's Holiday House from the lake. And mm-hmm. she's conveniently told that the, the holiday house is closed up, uh, but it's being looked after by Jeff Tucker, the caretaker, who is the tallest, skinniest man the speaker has ever seen outside a circus. <laughs> Poor Jeff. Very specific bit of description. They just, everybody knows everything. Yep. How many houses are on this lake? But they know who owns this. Why do they know the name of the caretaker? Like, not only do they know the owners, but they know the custodians. This town is just nothing but nosy bitches. Yeah. <laughs> like, you could just establish that, like, sometimes he comes over to for reasons. Yeah. yeah. There could be good reasons. He helps out like, with maintenance at the camp sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Or he borrows a cup of sugar. Yeah. <laughs> when he's making brownies. No, we just know everything about everyone. Yep. So yeah, Nancy is then like dragged out on a bunch of outdoor activities. 
<laughs> I love how it's also like, you know, she's like, God, I love hiking, but I'm so tired and I want to do some detecting and they just won't let me. Yes. <laughs> Tennis, canoe races, swimming, water skiing. It's been fun. But tomorrow I think I'll stay out of the activities. Helen laughed gaily. You'll change your mind after a sound sleep. <laughs> I, to be honest, like, no, that sounds like a very tiring holiday. It does sound extremely tiring. I'm like, I like to do one activity per day on my holidays. Nancy decides she needs to unwind with some leisurely detective work. <laughs> be more relaxing. So, yes, apparently she has elite motorboat skills. So she goes off on the motorboat on her own. Um so she can go spy on the Tophams but when she's in the middle of the lake the engine cuts out Chekhov's engine strikes again yeah yes. she's very lucky at least the boat doesn't explode yeah just... I mean that's what boats do you know <laughs> I know they're <laughs> notorious for it <laughs> she considers swimming ashore and then decides that ditching the boat in the lake might be a bit of a social faux pas so <laughs> she sits there getting sunburned and being frustrated that she's not sleuthing enough and she eventually like fixes the engine and goes back to camp. Yeah, she spends all day yes. hanging out there. Yes. She's had a completely wasted day. Yeah. Um, but and then she's like, Well, I'm just gonna disassemble the engine one more time <laughs> and see if this works. Yeah. She puts it back together and it works. It's literally like in an RPG where like, no, you just have to keep rolling mechanic skills until you get it. Yes. <laughs> eventually she eventually she passes the test and it's fine. Maybe she's a sim and she she's just leveled up. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. So she gets home and announces that she's leaving the camp for good and just quits and decides she's just gonna go stake out the cottage. Um, so she goes there by land because apparently that was an option all along. So I don't really know why she did the elaborate motorboat ploy. I'm guessing if the motorboat had worked, it would have been faster. Maybe. Like it's the opposite side of the lake. So just zip straight across. So, um, she turns up at the cottage to find that the doors are open and all the furniture is being removed. And in fact she recognizes the moving van and it is that same dark gray moving van that stole the silver teapot and is driven by men with suspiciously big noses. <laughs> it takes her so long to work this out. She's like, she goes in to the house. Um, She has noticed like all these different clues about what's happened. Um, curious and puzzled. Nancy entered the living room. Again, her eyes met a scene of disorder. Most of the furniture, furnishings have been taken out, Nancy thought. I suppose the movers will be back for the other odds and ends. Funny I didn't hear anything about the Tophams deciding to give up their cottage. And I must say those moving men were awfully careless. Those men may not be movers, she burst out. They may be thieves! <laughs> it, just, it takes her like 800 words to come to this. But also I love the fact that she's like, well, I never heard anything about them moving so obviously they're not because I would have heard. I would definitely yes. know if they were moving. <laughs> it would have been all that the people at the camp were talking about. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Apparently these guys are doing a heist whereby they're just stealing all the furniture out of this house, which is a really weirdly specific heist to do. I guess They've just really leaned into this whole persona of being furniture moving guys. And they've just decided they're only going to do furniture moving related crimes. That could, I mean, yeah, that could probably work. Especially if you really don't think 
anyone is going to come near this house for yeah. ages. It's a crime you could do, absolutely. But have you ever heard of it happening to someone? That like, all the furniture got stolen out of their house. Furniture these days is like cheap IKEA stuff. That's the thing, even expensive furniture is going to be worth way less on the second-hand black mar- market than it was, than you you as the ignorant rich person who bought it from the original <laughs> store are going to pay for it. So I don't know that it's worthwhile. That's why people steal like electronics instead. Yeah, I guess they had less electronics in 1930. But it's also just a really weird crime. It is a bit. I don't think anyone, I don't think even back then, even when furniture was, you know, made from proper wood and built to last TM, <laughs> I don't think anyone was doing furniture heists on a regular basis. No, fair. I, I cannot comment. Well, they are in this ten. <laughs> Nancy hides in a wardrobe to spy on these criminals, but um, they hear her sneeze because the wardrobe is full of dust, and so they lock her in the wardrobe and leave her there to starve to death, which is pretty dark. <laughs> yeah, there's this bit that goes on way longer. I assumed when she got into the wardrobe that she was going to hear some stuff and they would go away but instead she has a whole thing she spends several hours in the wardrobe after being locked in like working out a way to escape from the wardrobe which involves taking down the rail which is kind of entertainingly described as like this new fangled modern thing that one might use to hang hangers on um she discovered a wooden rod suspended high overhead it was fastened to either side wall and ran the lake length of the closet evidently it had been once used for dressing coat hangers like is this new (laughs) (laughs) i find it hard to believe that this is new but it's described in elaborate detail (laughs) so she pulls that down and uses it as a battering ram but then it doesn't even work because she gets rescued and i was like i just want to see nancy batter down the door could we not have had that but we've just seen her reassemble a disassemble and reassemble an engine on the middle of a lake with no tools so okay yeah that's fair you know yeah like it's okay it's, it's just that she worked so hard at this and I feel for her. She did, they... but I think we should admire that too. Like, she wasn't giving up. She, You know, if she hadn't been rescued, she would have figured something out. Yes, that's true, actually. She wasn't reliant on somebody to come. No, no she was getting there by herself. It was just faster. Yes. Someone came yeah, in. I'll take that. Yes, the tall, skinny caretaker um, who had been locked in a shed has busted out of his shed and he comes in and rescues Nancy. Uh, he says that he was hornswoggled by those critters. <laughs> Hornswoggled is a BFG word. Yes. <laughs> yes. I really assumed that Roald Dahl had made up hornswoggled. I'm quite hornswoggled to discover. <laughs> <laughs> it actually existed before he published the BFG. Yes. But was only said by picturesque caretaker types. So, yes, he explains that they turned up and hornswoggled him and locked him in a shed and stole all the furniture. And also... A big old-fashioned clock that was on the mantelpiece. Um, so she drives off on the trail of these guys. And yet again, she can follow them. But then they've driven off onto a paved road, so she loses their trail. Curse this newfangled trend to pave roads. I know. <laughs> really? She's a tracker. Yes. She's an expert tracker while she's driving along at like 30 miles an hour. <laughs> she's following the trail. <laughs> but yes, unfortunately... This like newfangled paving really like throws a spanner in the works, but she enlists some more bored police uh, who like turn out in force to help her track these guys down. Mm-hmm. But they just can't find them. But Nancy can find them because she 
is pulling over on a like a back road and she spots a dilapidated looking inn and she conveniently peeks in the window and all the criminals are inside eating their dinner together. So handy. <laughs> so handy. <laughs> so Nancy resolves to tell the police that she's found the criminals and then instantly gets sidetracked uh, because she decides to go look for their van. So she goes into a barn, uh, which is conveniently unlocked, and finds the moving van, which is locked. But then she remembers that sometimes people leave their car keys under the seat in the front of the vehicle and it turns out that the thieves did this so they didn't lock the the, the car they just locked the, the, back, the back bit the van doors yes mm-hmm. and left the keys under the mat <laughs> on the front of the car instead of putting it in one of their presumably many pockets yeah they are not good at this no so nancy gets in um digs around amidst the furniture uh, finds the clock uh, which Abby Rowan has conveniently given her a detailed description of so she knows that it's not just some other clock. She cannot remember the significance of the clock but she knows in detail what it looks like. Yes. Yeah. All the decorative doodads on it. So she uh, takes the clock uh, runs out and hides. She listens to the criminals bicker amongst themselves about where the car keys are. She hears them coming back and is like, oh no, what will I do? And she gets inside an empty grain bin. <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to highlight this. I think this is classic Nancy Drew. This is this is like, get into the wheelie bin. Yeah. Like yeah. Find an find a implausible hiding spot and be in it and then do your trademark eavesdropping. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Although, uh, shockingly, these guys don't actually talk about Josiah Crowley's will, for once. They're the only people in town who don't know any don't details. Don't know about the will. Yeah. They talk about how they imprisoned her in a cupboard and left her to die, and how one of them apparently feels bad about this. <laughs> but, like, not bad enough to go back and do anything about it, but whatever. Yeah. Um. So she dismantles the clock, and inside is a tiny dark blue notebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, which conveniently says property of Josiah Crowley. So she knows it's not some other notebook hidden in a clock. <laughs> I mean, you'd be so annoyed. <laughs> you would be. Yeah. <laughs> it would be infuriating. Uh, she then remembers that she's supposed to go tell the police that she tracked down the criminals. So she goes off and does that. She sees some convenient police. Uh, there's more tire tracks. They... Uh, managed to force the van to pull over. Uh, the van like drives into a ditch and the officers jump out and arrest the criminals. The prisoners were quickly identified from licenses and other papers as wanted criminals. It's very convenient that they had a lot of stuff to identify them as wanted criminals. <laughs> I love it. One of them is called Sid Sachs, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that sounds like the kind of criminal name you would come up with for yourself if you yes. were a 1920s hood. <laughs> Yes. But also, I think they don't have like access to databases of wanted criminals. Yeah, I have no idea how they immediately identify. I guess they just got real good memories with like wanted posters. That's it. Maybe they have like a ring binder (laughs) of wanted posters. Like, you, these guys all have big noses and those have big noses. So, like, it's definitely, they're definitely in there. It's definitely a whole book full of people with Groucho Mark costumes on. (laughs) They look so similar. Really, they should wear some other type of mask. It's very incriminating. <laughs> no other type has been invented yet. <laughs> so the police reassure Nancy that these guys are going away for a long time because apparently desk theft carries a hefty <laughs> sentence. 
Um, but Nancy says that she doesn't want people to know that she's the one who um, apprehended them, caught the thieves. Yes, and she definitely doesn't want the Toppums to know. Um, and then she considers whether she should, um, you know, admit that she stole the clock from the thieves. <laughs> I, I love that Nancy straight up has committed a crime here. Yeah. And she's like, I'm just going to tell the cops and it'll be grand. Yeah. As a white lady privilege. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell them about the notebook because they don't know about the notebook. Yes. In, in, in fairness, the notebook is kind of part and parcel with the clock, which is the item that she stole. <laughs> like, so I can see not telling people about the notebook. She... They don't know she knows about that. Notebooks don't count. Like, written materials, you can't steal written materials. Like, that's fine. Yeah. Information wants to be free. Yeah, you can take them and read them on your own time. That's good. Yeah, it's fine. So yeah, she tells him that she stole the clock because she was only stealing it so she could bring it to the Toppums to show to them and say, is this your clock? And then she could establish that this was their van full of stolen property. And the policeman is like, that makes total sense. <laughs> I really feel like what he should have done has been, what? Why is this gang of furniture thieves being run by a hot, rich, young white girl? Yeah. <laughs> this is real interesting because she clearly decided not to go to college and instead she's gone into a life of crime. I don't think college has anything to teach her. <laughs> Mechanic school, possibly. Yeah, well, she wouldn't have been able to fix the boat first time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Nancy goes home and is plied with a great deal of midnight food by uh, Hannah Gruen, the housekeeper. Um, they reflect that it's great that she caught the criminals and hopefully the Turners will get their silver teapot back. But also they don't give a fuck if the Toppums get their furniture back or not. Uh, Nancy is refreshingly upfront about this. She just doesn't care. And that's correct. Yeah. Yes. So in the notebook is a bunch of boring business notations and a key taped into the notebook with a tag marked 148 and a note saying, My last will and testament will be found in safe deposit box number 148 in the Merchants Trust Company. The box is under the name of Josiah Johnson, which is tremendously handy. And if only he had thought to like, tell anyone where to find this note it would have saved a lot of people a lot of trouble but whatever like his own actual lawyer yeah this is why yeah. you tell people things before you're on your literal deathbed mm -hmm. and this is also why you don't write your own will in a notebook <laughs> so um they deduce that apparently there's lots of merchants trust companies around and they're worried about this but then they remember that mr crowley went to masonville and masonville sucks and there's no reason to go there unless you have business to do dun, dun, dun. so they decide it's probably the merchants trust company in masonville so they'll go there well he probably picked up some mason jars <laughs> yeah yes he was there he's a mason jar magnate <laughs> Also, they reflect that the Toppums are probably going to kick off when this all comes to light. And also, Mr. Topham has been losing heavily in the stock market this past month. Uh, her father says he's been getting credit at a number of places on the strength of the inheritance. And I suspect he's depending on Crowley's money to pull him through a tight spot. He's making every effort to speed up the settlement of the estate. How does he know so much about Richard Topham's private affairs? Because the lawyers all eat lunch together and gossip. Yes. And presumably whoever their lawyer is, is also... 
And presumably also they gossip with the accountants and doctors and such. Shop owners and So they've got all the information. Like they're all in the they're all country club members together. That's uh, how like that's it. They just gossip at the club. At this point, I'm really conscious of the fact that there's a whole load of, I'm not going to describe it as foreshadowing. It's stuff that Nancy's dad tells her might happen, which would be bad and she should manage her expectations. Like, for example, if the will turns out to be a figment of Josiah Crawley's imagination and he never actually got around to doing it. Yeah. Um, Which in another book would be foreshadowing. In this book, it's just him giving her some good advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, spoiler warning, the will turns out to totally be there and be correct and, um, like, implementable and, like... It's fine. There's no problem about this. I was really confused by that. I assumed that she would have to then go back out into the countryside and ransack clocks until she found the will because <laughs> it wasn't going to be in the safety bother box. But it is! Yep. Like, that's what happens in real life. People caution you about stuff not happening and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. In a book... If someone is like, well, maybe it won't happen, then maybe it's it's actually not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but it's totally fine. Yes, he tells her Crowley was an odd person and did things in an odd way. A will may be there, and again, it may not. Perhaps he only left further directions to finding it. But it's fine, because they turn up and the bank lets them look in the deposit box and there's totally a will in there. If it was a Babysitter's Club book, we would class this under good advice. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, like have a fire extinguisher around. If you think you've discovered a secret second will, which is really exciting, don't get your hopes up because maybe, you know, it's, 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 it's a imaginary. It's such, it's so specific. This yeah. advice is so specific. Or maybe this is just the beginning of an elaborate wild goose chase. Nope. No, it isn't. Yep. This will. It's, 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 the, it's the will. It's grand. <laughs> uh, so they find the will. They notice that the nice people are mentioned in it. Um, unfortunately, the bank's normal lawyer has left for Europe on an extended vacation. So can Nancy's dad step in and do all the lawyer stuff related to this case? <laughs> yes, yes, he can. I love that he's just like, yeah, sure, I'm technically kind of representing some of the people in the will, but I can also represent the bank. There is no conflict of interest. <laughs> yep. There's no conflict of interest and I can involve my 18-year-old daughter in all of this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... She's already deeply involved in all of this anyway. So then there's a lot of weird admin about getting the will transcribed. They have photostats made up and then they have the photostats typed up so that it's more legible. And I don't really know why they do all this business. I quite enjoyed that because it makes it clearer in my mind how they read the will. Yes. <laughs> they got into it. But yeah, there's no reason for doing there was There was also no reason, by the way, for Nancy to waste an entire day rebuilding an engine on the lake. <laughs> that's also true also Karen you're an adult who does archival research involving old timey documents oh, right. I, I don't <laughs> think the 10 year olds of 1930 are like oh my god but legal handwriting is sometimes so hard to read and how can they read it fast enough I hope somebody's going to type this up for legibility purposes <laughs> well now they know okay yes. <laughs> important information that will serve them going forward oh my god it's so the kind of thing that you would absolutely learn yourself if this was ever to apply to you. Mostly, to be honest, what I noticed about these chapters is the large amount of food that Nancy Yeah. Um, which includes a plate of crisp golden waffles. Yes. And a dish of strawberries. Yeah. I was intrigued by the cinnamon cake as well. Yes. That's a cinnamon cake? I want someone to give me cinnamon cake in the middle of the night. 
yeah, when I come in hungry after a day of hard detecting, I want someone to hand me cinnamon cake and a big chicken sandwich. I know, right? Yeah. Um. So then we have a denouement. They have a big meeting. All the nice people have been invited, and also the Toppums. Um. Mister mm-hmm. Drew says, "Oh yes, the Toppums will be here, and unless I'm mistaken, they will bring a lawyer with them." Just as soon as they learned that another will had come to light, they began to worry. How does he know this? How, how many listening devices does he have in their house? There are abrupt changes of POV <laughs> very occasionally. Like mm-hmm. there's one in that scene where Nancy is in the house and um, the dad sits down to read the stock market um, in the newspaper and the you you just, for a paragraph, you get all the all the women in the family know better than to interrupt him when he's... Um, yeah. When he's, like... That is jarring. Yes. Don't do that. <laughs> we don't ever want to like identify with the Toppums. No. <laughs> so don't give us their POV. Or if you want to present their point of view, do it through dialogue. Yes. Like don't switch it and then switch back to Nancy straight away again. Yeah, no, that, I think you're right. it's the same thing. that made no sense at all. Um, but yes, everyone knows what's going on in the Topham's head because I guess there's just so much gossip that like even the inside of people's heads are like fair game. <laughs> uh, so everybody turns up. The will is read. All the nice people get $10,000 each. And the Yay. Topham's get... Uh, Mr. Topham gets $5,000 and the rest of his family gets nothing. Um, and also the Hoovers get Mr. Crowley's furniture but they don't want it so it's fine. So the <laughs> Topham's have lots of furniture i guess (laughs) ada accuses nancy drew of having done this whole thing on purpose and nancy's like yeah bitch yes i'm detecting (laughs) it's what i do sorry you got in my way (laughs) so um at this point mrs topham fires her lawyer uh now that she's not his client he shares a bunch of details about them (laughs) (laughs) he adds it to the town gossip pool yeah yeah (laughs) he's like well, I'm happy I can chip in. Oh yeah, he tells them that they're going bankrupt and Mr. Topham has lost all his money and they they um they're gonna have to give up their beautiful home, so it's all fine. Uh and the girls are gonna have to get jobs. Yeah. Final indignity. Oh my god. Nancy doesn't have a job at this no. point. No. Like she's just a professional meddler. Yep. Yeah. But it's a voluntary role. <laughs> She's a rich kid whose dad bought her a convertible who, in return for occasionally running errands for him. Yeah. Mm. Don't you wish you were Nancy? Yes. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. I would love I would love for my job to be running two to four errands per week. <laughs> like, that would be nice. That would be tremendous. And to be reimbursed with a brand new convertible and fancy new clothes for the country club. Yeah. And all the gossip you could handle. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best part. Um, so then Nancy goes and visits the handsome old men and gives them a bunch of travel brochures and they're off to see the world. Also uh, the good news. She also gives them the news. Also the good news that yes, the will has been definitely proved and it's all fine and they're all getting $10,000. Um, she's not just giving them brochures no yeah. like here's all the places you could go to if you had money but sorry you still don't that would be very cruel then she goes around to the old ladies with the little girl and tells them that they're getting their money and there's a weird scene where the little girl has a new doll that used to belong to her mother when she was a child um yeah. 
Then she goes round to Abby Rowan and gives her a jar of homemade beef broth and some good news. And everyone is just like absolutely glorying in the downfall of the Tophams and nobody is pretending to be like in any way diplomatic about this. And they're right. They're absolutely right. And then she visits the Hoovers and they're going to get singing lessons for Alison. And then they give Nancy the clock as a souvenir of her very first detective case. Yay. And then we are told that in the near future, Nancy will be involved in the Hidden Staircase mystery, a mystery far more baffling than the one she has just solved. Wow. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. Which probably wasn't written at the time that whoever like no. queued that up for the next incarnation of Caroline Keane to do. Yeah. Like, I guess they just threw each other a prompt. Like, here's a title. Yeah. Go nuts. <laughs> it's around Robin, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was Nancy Drew. Um. I would have no issue with my daughter reading this. In fact, my daughter has read this. Awesome. Good for her. Oh, has she? Yes. What did you think? She thought it was grand. Um, yeah, she was so curious about Claudia Kishi reading Nancy Drew books that she asked me to get her a Nancy Drew book. So oh, yay. <laughs> she has read this. Uh, she liked it, but she hasn't read any more. Yeah. Yeah. And she is quite keen on the like mystery books for tween kids genre, but um, yeah. I don't think this was her favorite example. Yeah, it's quite... It's quite culturally specific. Yes. Yes. But like, it's grand. It really yeah, is. I feel like a, a girl detective story of the 50s would probably involve more like homemaking <laughs> and less disassembly of <laughs> yes. engines. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I like Nancy. She's very independent and like, yeah, yeah, she just kind of does her own thing and meddles as much as she wants. It's It's not like they're it, they're pretty upfront about the fact that she can be independent because she has a fuck ton of money yes yeah and like there are so many books where the protagonist has a fuck ton of money but isn't this degree of like she doesn't get to meddle as much as she likes yes yeah she's in she's living her best life she is enjoying all of the like hearty amounts of privilege that are her due <laughs> and in theory she's using it for for good so yes. yeah good good for Nancy. good and nosiness <laughs> yeah She's helping nice people and she's, yeah, getting all the gossip. I didn't know this first time around, but, but on the recap, it's like, there are like really few male characters in this book, mm. partly speaking. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Um, Which is like, uh, so we did some research into cast of characters in mm. 19th century and early 20th century novels and like mostly even the best um like the most female centric novels are 50 50% female max yeah and that's only a handful of Jane Austens and a couple of other novels um mostly like it's 75% male at least yeah and there are quite a lot of novels that have basically no women in them so um i would say this is at least 50% this is great yeah <laughs> for uh for that um kind of maybe accidentally <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean the like I'm just thinking, other than the the kind of the characters who have who are involved with the will, Richard Topham is a man, and the two silver fox farmers are men, and everyone else down to the child are women. There are no boys at the lake, only girls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we're left with like the judges, lawyers, and policemen, and the caretaker, and criminals, and the villains. <laughs> Yes, and uh, some, yeah, yeah. 
Can I just say, it's also super weird that the criminals did not turn out to be connected to the Will shenanigans at all. They just happened yeah. to be turning up and robbing people. I kept expecting them to turn up to be turn out to be in the pay of the Tophams in some capacity. But yes. Like, they're just random furniture criminals. They were going around ransacking places so that the Tophams could find the secret will and destroy it because they knew. Yeah, but like that's absolutely not what happened. The red herring is really important in all detective fiction, but I think especially Golden Age. Mm-hmm. And this is actually a Golden Age. Yeah. yeah. Like, this is a full-on Agatha Christie era. Not in Marsh. Um, Marjorie Allingham, I think, are the three. Mm-hmm. And Carolyn Keane, why not? Like, <laughs> probably more readers or as many readers yeah. as, like, some of those. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, Karen, I have to ask you, as is traditional... Is everyone terrible in this book? No. Um, who's terrible in this book? Um, the obvious villains are terrible. Um, mm-hmm. the whole town is like you could have told this story from a slightly different angle and have it be real scary because everyone knows everyone else's business. Yeah. <laughs> but they do all seem to be using their gossip powers for good. Um, so no they're not terrible (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know that i want to live in this town so the topums are terrible the thieves are terrible everyone else is just a nosy bitch yeah yeah the thieves are like pretty bad but they're also trying to get by in the they lock nancy in a wardrobe to starve yeah it does sound like they're they're discussing the morality of that and who knows maybe they're gonna like bring up the cops and be like hey some- send someone around to that house would you <laughs> maybe i don't think it was high on their list of priorities probably not no and they stole a teapot i mean is nothing <laughs> sacred <laughs> hang on now though you say that you don't know if you'd like to live in that town and i understand that you wouldn't want everyone knowing all your financials and stuff but also i know you and I know how intensely gratifying you would find having so much gossip just being pumped at you 24 <laughs> 7. Esther. I mean, is this me you're going at particularly, or it's, it's just me? Well, I would be right there with you, but you're the one who said you wouldn't want to live there, whereas I'm thinking, God, I'd never get anything done. I'd just be constantly gossiping with everyone all the time. Yeah. I need to think about that. There's a big trade-off there. You'd have to pay the price of everyone knowing all of your business. Yeah. Well, I don't have any interesting business, but I live for other people. The thing is, they don't tend to be super judgy about, like, unimportant stuff. They're just like, those topums are horrible to everyone. They're mean to service workers. And then they gossip about them. Yeah, they're mean to service workers. Like, provided we're not mean to service workers. We have nothing to fear. Yeah. I guess I feel like gossip about people's financials and the way they treat service workers is more useful to society than for example gossip about i don't know my particular morals (laughs) (laughs) or like the sort of thing like i mean like if someone if someone from that town were to come to my house they would probably bring back gossip about the fact that the hearth rug clearly has not been hoovered (laughs) in a while oh the 30s 
house cleaning standards are going to be either way below or way above what we expect nowadays. So don't worry about that crap. Like, <laughs> Depending on whether they can afford a maid or not. Help. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm not even thinking of that. I mean, it's just like different periods in time. Oh, yeah. To find things. Way oh, yeah. d- like, did you scrub your doorstep this week? Ew. Gross. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's a thing that you oh, might yeah. be expected to do or not, depending on the decade. <laughs> yeah, that's true. My parents used to have a neighbour who was very assiduous about scrubbing her doorstep. And this was 100% a cover so that she could spy on everyone all the time. <laughs> Anytime yeah. anyone was having any kind of drama, like a row outside their house, <laughs> suddenly she would be seized with an uncontrollable urge to wash the doorstep. The doorstep would be scrubbed. <laughs> yes. Beautiful. She would have fit right in in River Heights. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, no, they're not terrible. They're not terrible, but you pay the price for living in a surveillance state. I, yeah, earlier on, we very briefly on the text um, talked about uh, protagonist-centred mor- uh, morality. Yes, yes. Um, Did you guys come across that before? No, no. I don't think um, so. Yeah, so I, so I found this first in a paper that somebody wrote, which was very good, on... Ender's Game. And basically what it means is that the fictional universe contorts itself around the main character in order to justify everything that the main character chooses to do, which in the case of Ender's Game means that Ender gets to do genocide. Yes. You know, fun times for everybody. Um, And so a more fun example, to be honest, for me is the Jack Reacher novels (laughs) where everybody he encounters is like, they're all um, like small time hoods who deliberately put themselves in front of him to be like beaten up. Yeah. And then there's really, really terrible um, villains who he has to take down. And so we get to enjoy the extreme violence without having to worry about the morality of it because obviously they deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. um, And like, actually the same thing is happening in this book (laughs) in a much more subdued manner. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like, you know, the Topham girls are baddies. Mm -hmm. Like they're ba- they show their baddiness by being rude to service workers and attempting to defraud a bunch of people out of some money, which is not the same as many things that people do in the Jack Reacher novels. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we, we we get the stakes are lower, but the, but the principle still, remains the same. Yeah, it's really demonstrated. They're not running a holiday a holiday home where you get to hunt people for sport, but it's implied yes. that they would. I believe at one point the stakes get as high as somebody is peddling small scale nukes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean on the private market. Like, like you know. The Topham's would if they thought it would get them ahead in society. Yes. <laughs> um so I think in this in this case it's like it's fine for Nancy to eavesdrop, which she needs to do because she's a detective. Yeah. But we know the good ni- nice girls don't eavesdrop. But Nancy's going to do it because it's important. Yes. Yeah. Um, and because they just like waltzed right here and sat down on the bench, which she was clearly standing behind listening. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no expectation of privacy in a public place. So yeah. <laughs> go nuts. And there's no bushes or anything. She's just standing right there <laughs> yep. listening. <laughs> Look, it could be worse. She could have unleashed a wave of unimaginable physical violence on them. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh, Nancy Drew slash Jack Reacher OTP. (laughs) (laughs) No. I absolutely need this fanfic. They're probably not that far off being the appropriate generation (laughs) for each other. I think she's a bit old for him. He's a boomer. 
Hey, well, maybe she's a silver fox too. That's true. <laughs> yeah, she's only the greatest generation. It's fine. No, actually, she's conservative. Not, never mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, not everyone is terrible. Partly because the narrative demands that it be so. It's not really natural, yeah. but that's okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I, I think we can agree on that. Mm-hmm. All right. I think we will wrap it up there. I will ask everyone to hit us up on the Telegraph and the newfangled telephone if you have such an apparatus <laughs> in your house. And also on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we are at Podcast Dawn on Twitter and the podcast at Dawn's house everywhere else. Uh, drop us an email, rate and review us in your podcast apps and always remember if you're stuck for what to do just disassemble and reassemble the engine. Mm-hmm.